Hello everyone and welcome to Millennial Rewind, where we take a not-so-sentimental look at the movies and TV shows that were around when millennials were growing up. I'm your host, Nick, coming to you from the Will Smith-hitting-things capital of the world, Los Angeles, California. And joining me here at the studio is my co-host, Jules. Jules, how are you doing today? I uh, dropped by Area 51. Not for aliens, I just really needed a yarmulke. <laughs> Yeah, down there, Torah, Torah, Torah has a very different meaning. <laughs> and joining us from the Randy Quaid of Southern California, the Inland Empire, is by the co-host John. John, what's happening? I'm just getting myself killed by disobeying stay-at-home orders. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of that going around the past couple of years. Uh, before we get started, let you know what that's all about. If you like what you hear today, please do us a favor and hit that subscribe button. Also, be sure to share the show with anyone you think might like to listen as well. So for this episode, we watched the American classic Independence Day. And John, how would you tell somebody you watched Independence Day or ID4 without using the title? Oh, it's simple. I watched Roland Emmerich's very popular space-based big-budget B-movie. Uh, no, no, no. I said popular, not Moonfall. <laughs> popular. <laughs> and Jules, if the producers had asked you to come up with a different title for this, what would you have given them? Close Encounters of the Norton Antivirus. <laughs> Does Norton work on Mac? I don't know. I don't use it. <laughs> it's the 90s. <laughs> God, this movie, it was huge when it came out. It, this was globally a massive fucking movie. Movie. massive yeah it's surprising because it's it's so america centric and yet this was so big in the uk i mean i i hadn't even heard of uh independence day before this movie like americans think you know the english are really hung up on july the 4th and we really don't give a flying fuck <laughs> oh yeah no from from uh my time being friends with jules i've learned that the uk goes from july 3rd straight to the 5th they just skip they just skip over <laughs> it's like we should be really bitter about it but we're just not well i mean when you've lost that much of your empire already does a few <laughs> colonies really matter at that point exactly so long as we beat the french you know everything else is like who gives a shit i mean i think you beat the french to losing your empire so yeah you beat the french that's what matters <laughs> that's, that's what matters god yeah this movie was huge in south africa again so pro-america but like nobody gave a fuck pre-iraq war people actually liked america in the 90s people forget this I remember I watched it first on video because South Africa is in the Southern Hemisphere. People go to the beach for Christmas. So we went to like a beach house for Christmas and met up with a bunch of family friends. It was a New Year's Eve party. And I was a kid, you know, the eldest of the kids. And we put on Independence Day close to midnight. And I felt really proud of myself because I was the only kid who stayed up till midnight. See, I'm really curious now to hear what John has to say about this, considering that your parents were marine pilots and were stationed at the Marine Corps Air Station that this is supposed to take place at. <laughs> yeah, when, when I was born, my dad was stationed at El Toro. Um, I have no memories of it. We moved long before that was possible. But as we've established before, I am the world's worst military kid. I really don't <laughs> know shit or care. So sorry. <laughs> I found it interesting that you mentioned seeing this at Christmas, but obviously that was like a home video sort of situation, I guess. Part of what made this such a huge thing here in the States was it had the release date of July 3rd. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Because then you see the movie and you're like, are, are they here yet? You know. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I loved it. Everyone at school loved it. And a few years later, um, something I found kind of weird, and especially with what you guys were saying about how super American-centric this is, my brother over a holiday from college, there was a Middle Eastern student, I think he was maybe from Turkey, had come over and uh, he saw I was watching the movie, and he basically told me how they all found this as just a propaganda film. <laughs> and so shit, like Jules just mentioned how weirdly everyone was okay with it. It really jumps out to me every single time, like at the end where, the British are like, the Americans figured out how to do it. And someone's like, well, it's about bloody time. They did <laughs> like, like they were waiting for us to solve the problems. <laughs> I'm not making a move until I hear from Robert Lozier. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's crazy because this is directed by not an American. It's directed by Roland Emmerich, who just loves blowing up the fucking planet in his movies. <laughs> I think this movie has the best extras that I can think of in any movie. Oh, the extras are amazing. The extras are incredible. And there are so many of them, and they all seem to pull off one hell of an emotional reaction in all these different scenarios. I cannot nitpick the extras. They were so good. <laughs> oh, yeah. The background people are just, they are in it, man. I don't know what the director had to tell them that they were supposed to be looking at, but they are in it. <laughs> I mean, there's shocked at explosion guy. There's... Uh, salute speech guy. <laughs> They're so fun. Oh, dude, salute guy. <laughs> he he winds up intercut into any apocalypse speech. <laughs> he really does. <laughs> I've seen shit where it's the they won't take our freedom from Braveheart and salute guy. Salute guy. Amazing. <laughs> it's so crazy because like how much this is considered, you know, militaristic, jingoistic propaganda. The military was not involved in it. Oh, really? They were not. They were apparently originally going to be involved with it. And then when the movie would not cut out the Area 51 stuff, they withdrew their support. Okay. All right. Which is crazy. It's well, like no, no, no. My, my, no, my my dad and um, a few other people that we've known have like flown over that region, and like before you even get over, you know, a base or sort of thing, like it comes over the radio of you're entering restricted airspace, and if like if you don't move, you will be fired upon. Yeah, I believe yeah. it because I mean, because here's the thing. Area 51 exists, but it's an experimental aircraft facility, which is why they'll shoot you on sight. It's not because they're necessarily holding aliens there. It's like the next latest and greatest jet fighter technology is being developed here. We don't want you to fucking know about it. Or that's what they want you to think. <laughs> I was going to try whistling it, but I don't have the right thing over the microphone. and just be like... <laughs> And this movie really put Will Smith on the map. Like, he became a fucking movie star because of this movie. And he's in it for, like, ten minutes. Yeah, but he makes the most out of every single moment he's in. Even when he's just, you know, dude waking up, getting out of bed. You love those fucking moments. 
It's true. Oh, for sure. He had a rap career and, uh, you know, Fresh Prince was really big, but yeah, this really did elevate him. Yeah, it just, it, it put Will Smith on the map. I mean, like, Fresh Prince was not a thing in South Africa, so nobody knew him from that. Like, this and Bad Boys were the things that put Will Smith on the map down there. All right, fair enough. This is what we knew about him. Like, I I, I don't think I even knew what the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was until I moved back to America. Oh, no, wait, no, that is not fair. That is not fair. Your childhood was deprived of Jeffrey and Uncle Phil. That is a travesty, sir. I am hey, sorry. hey, hey. I have since watched all of Fresh Prince, and I feel fulfilled. I have seen, I, I watched it during the pandemic. It's a great show. I had a great time. Uncle Phil is amazing. Don't worry. Well, I will say, though, we have to be honest here that this springboarded Will Smith from popcorn B-movies into great classics like Wild Wild West. <laughs> <laughs> Which he turned down the Matrix to do. I know. Oh my god. (laughs) He was offered the role of Neo and turned it down for goddamn my my guess is that he was not allowed to make a theme song for the Matrix. He was not allowed to rap a theme song for the Matrix. And that's why he said no deal. (laughs) And as much shit as you want to give Wild Wild West, who would really turn down the opportunity to work with Kevin Klein and Kenneth Branagh? I mean, seriously. That's true. Only a fool would turn that down. Yeah. What I will say, though, is that now I can't get the image of my head of Will Smith trying to rap Killing in the Name by Rage Against the Machine. (laughs) (laughs) I want that so badly right now. Well, anyways, this has gotten completely off the rails and away from independence. <laughs> so, yeah, before we completely lose the plot, we're going to take a break and regroup. When we come back, we're going to start breaking down Independence Day. All right, aliens, it's time to prepare our invasion of the Earthlings. And what is the plan, my great leader? First... We will send scouts to their planet. Of course. Gather intelligence. Then, we will abduct a pilot from their most powerful military. An excellent idea, sir. We can question him about their capabilities. And put stuff in his butt. I'm sorry, what? We're going to put stuff in his butt for invasion reasons. I mean, I understand how that's... An invasion? But how does that help us with the invasion? Do not question me! Then we will return him to Earth and chill out for a few decades because that will be a lot and we're going to want to relax. It's very important not to overextend yourself. Yeah, so many invasions fail due to burnout. Exactly. Then we will use their satellites to broadcast our signal to the other side of the planet as we get our ships in position to blow up their cities. Question. We're an advanced alien race that's capable of interstellar travel. Why don't we just use our own satellites or drones to broadcast a signal? Good point. Surely that would be more secure and would prevent Earthlings from discovering our plans. Okay, what did I say about questions? Plus... It's way cheaper to just use their satellites. Do you know how much those things cost to operate? I'm not made of currency. Okay, great leader. Then our ships will destroy all their major cities at the same time. And if they counterattack, well, then we have our shields and fighters. Yes, the humans will not know what hit them. And then we have our ground forces we can deploy immediately as soon as the cities fall. Nah, we're going to take like a few days, maybe get around to it. You know, it's no rush. Wait, what? 
Uh, okay, this is this is stupid. Uh, this plan is really convoluted, and the details haven't been worked out. Um, mutiny? Um, yeah, mutiny sounds good. I vote, I vote no for mutiny. No, I'm not down for that. A- Alien 2, tentacles in the middle, mutiny on 3. Mutiny. mutiny. <laughs> <laughs> His name is Alien 2. Yes! <laughs> And we're back, and oh my god, these 90s graphics, and my note here is uh, these ridiculous 90s opening graphics are exploding in my face without my consent. I forgot how simplistic yet amazing these opening titles were. (laughs) It really does a great job of setting the tone for the movie, though. Yes. You got you got this for the time, a really cool, odd, weird looking, you know, font, and then all of a sudden they just like just explodes directly at you it's it's amazing i was very upset that this didn't keep happening throughout the movie because you know it starts and he gives us july 2nd and then like there's really tragic shit that happens and it says july 3rd and i really in this somber moment i just wanted july 3 to be like (laughs) july 4th just also explodes yeah yeah, yeah. So we open to an American flag on the lunar surface. There's like space junk. You see like the landing modules that were left behind, and, you know, footprints and stuff, a plaque that was left there. I don't get this choice, though, because this starts like it's a black and white photograph. And then as it pans out, the color comes in. <laughs> what the fuck was this choice, Roland? I don't know, Roland. You gotta let us know, dude. You gotta let us know. The point is, did you have your fuck yeah America erection ready? Um, I have my fuck yeah America erection ready at all times, Julian, because I'm not a terrorist. <laughs> I gotta say, it was a little painful because I was not ready for it. But as soon as I saw the flag and that music chimed in, I just, mm, I should have shifted. <laughs> Uh, and then a Star Destroyer flies overhead. Uh, no, no, no. It's Spaceballs 1, right? Because it takes way too fucking long to get <laughs> the point across. Yeah, we got this like little you know, undershot of like the giant spaceship fly. Like this shot has been done to death. Like, like maybe mm-hmm. shoot it from the top the next time, guys. Like, let's just try something crazy. Yeah, but from the top doesn't show you the scale. You got to see the shadow on the moon. I don't know, man. So now we're at SETI. Uh, I forget what SETI stands for. Something for the... I believe it's Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Yes. Uh, like, if you've seen that place with all the satellite dishes out in the middle of the desert, the New Mexico desert, that is what this is. The song that's playing is It's the End of Subtlety as We Know It by uh, <laughs> R.E.M. <laughs> My note here is that this movie inspired how um, Zack Snyder picks his songs. <laughs> Just find the most basic, obvious goddamn reference even has nothing to do with the theme. Nope. I mean, I get it. The end of the world's going to end. Blah, blah, blah. But then we have, uh, I have him as skinny Asian Dennis Nedry. Mm, that's a stretch. Nerdy glasses, his shirt choice. This dude cares way too much about his work. 
Yeah. I mean, there's a lot so. of downtime, so that's why he's putting in the middle of the office. But as soon as he gets the alert, man, he is all in on this. Oh, yeah. He calls He calls the boss man, and the boss man does not want to be woken up. He's like, if you're not a beautiful woman, don't be calling me. Uh, what my note is, what Nick tells me every time I call him. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't learned about caller ID. It's really weird. It's very odd. <laughs> I like the surprise. <laughs> I'm going to steal his phone and put an insanely beautiful woman under my contact. (laughs) (laughs) But what I will give credit to is that this is a genuine wake up moment. He doesn't jolt upright out of bed immediately. Stays on his side, puts the phone next to his ear and talks like a regular human being would. I think the important thing to note here is no one was having a bad dream. Ah, there it is. But he does bang his head because apparently they only have bunk beds at SETI and he was sleeping on the bottom bunk. So he comes in to investigate and the signal that's coming through, uh, it's very close. It's coming from the moon. And I'm sorry that your equipment that's tuned to like look for things deep into space didn't pick this shit up earlier. They weren't sending it yet. Yeah. That said, I would reckon this would be spotted sooner. They got so many (laughs) telescopes looking out into space. I am going to reference Armageddon, which we should absolutely cover at some point. 5,000%. And say that space is very, very big, and we can only cover so much of it at a time. Are you claiming, we, we spot comets all the time, coming and going, but something a fourth the size of our moon just chills its way towards the Earth without any anyone spotting it? I find that kind of hard to believe. I thought you said you were here to have fun. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nitpicking is a barrel of laughs for some people, including myself. I, no, no, no. I mean, I agree with you guys. That's the reason why my defense of this came from another you know, disaster movie. <laughs> Directed by Michael Bay, who, of course, is the master of intelligence and continuity and let's just blow (laughs) shit up yeah (laughs) exactly by the way guys i'd like to point out that we've gotten through the opening four minutes of a movie in 1996 with zero white dudes (laughs) hey very progressive opening good job independence day i mean granted there's only been two people on screen so far but still so uh cut to the marine corps memorial in washington dc and then the pentagon where general robert loja is getting briefed on the situation uh, as people have no idea what the hell it is but it's slowing down get me the secretary of defense then wake him like you know because he's on the phone trying to call the secretary <laughs> of defense god this is such a b movie that was given an amazing budget it really is i know i love it this is sort of a dying breed wasn't it now it's just now you don't really get these sort of mid to high budget b movies anymore do you make mid to high budget movies great again i agree so cut to president bill pullman and his kid may whitman y'all don't know may whitman no no she does some stuff (laughs) (laughs) this is the saddest shout out we've ever had (laughs) you know you know may whitman she's done things she was in the duff anyways may whitman i know who you are and that's all that matters so bill pullman is talking to his the first lady on the west coast and uh, may whitman tattles and tells her that bill pullman let her watch letterman she was up past her bedtime yeah what a snitch she just heard her dad saying like no no i totally put her to bed on time she didn't stay up late i mean kids are idiots so like that this tracks also we get exposition ftv we're on the exposition network that tells us that bill pullman was a pilot in the gulf war and in that 
yeah, Gulf War ended in 1991. So he went from being a Gulf War pilot to president in what, five years? That's that's pretty fast. And so we meet Connie, his press secretary, tells him that they've lost the public narrative because politics and bad, I don't know. My note here is fictional politics are just as boring and stupid as real life politics. Thank you. God. Also, yeah, it's really weird. Like he, she's there before him. He's trying to have breakfast in his robe and she's just there ready to go and like president stuff at him. Uh, so he gets a call from the secretary of defense and you get that moment of like, I'm sorry, can you repeat that? It's good. Good mystery setup. I'm actually enjoying the slow build that they do with this. Yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of cheesy and all, but and it's obviously just we're doing this because movie and I'm loving it. I'm here for every moment. <laughs> and it's actually just surprisingly well written for what it is. I think so, too. Really tight for what it is. Um, So in space, a satellite crashes into the mothership. So it's getting close, guys. Uh, and then I have here, we have a New York seizure, just like literally like fast cuts with like white <laughs> screams of like, I'm just like, oh God, I'm going to have a fit. Oh, wow. Like, look, I don't think you should normally have to put trigger warnings, but epileptic should absolutely get a fucking trigger warning for this movie because holy shit. Yep. So now we meet Jeff Goldblum and his dad, Judd Hirsch, who are playing chess in the park. Yeah, my note here is uh, a divorced, slow chess playing, preachy recycling, smoking criticizing daddy's boy he's probably going to be the villain right Oh, wow. <laughs> so Jeff Goldblum makes a comment about Judd Hirsch's styrofoam cup setting in motion his environmentalist streak. Damn woke lefties. <laughs> uh, this movie is a fucking massive piece of corporate greenwashing and I will get into it. Oh yes it is. Oh yes <laughs> This is. is where it starts. But Judd Hirsch calls out the fact that Jeff Goldblum is still wearing his wedding band even though he's been divorced for several years and it's time to move on. But Jeff Goldblum checkmates him and, and goes back to work and i agree with judd hirsch that is not checkmate you need to take that fucking ring off man i am i am squarely on judd hirsch's side <laughs> wait like literally it wasn't checkmate like you look oh you no no it. that's up for jules to watch the chess I don't, <laughs> I don't know. yeah that was uh it wasn't i didn't get a good look at the board unfortunately i was suspicious at first because all the pawns are like lined up just further up the board all the pawns are still on the board <laughs> <laughs> Almost all of them, yeah. They're just, everything's <laughs> moved forward. Yeah, you know that game of chess where it takes like three moves and you're done? <laughs> <laughs> that just means that Judd Hirsch really sucks at chess. <laughs> <laughs> and Judd Hirsch, yeah, he's just like, like, look, I, I have a lot of Jewish friends. Zero of them talk like this. Maybe this is like a New York Jew thing, but he's like, no, what? No, that's not checkmate. No, it's not checkmate. Like, you know, like that. He sounds like Judd Hirsch. The stereotypes exist for a reason, I guess. The stereotypes I don't exist know. for a reason, but at the same time, like every Jewish person in my life does not fit this stereotype. So I, it's, likewise, it's, it's, <laughs> likewise. <laughs> well, anyways, uh, Jeff Goldblum arrives at the office. He works for like a satellite TV company or cable company, and it's just chaos. Everyone's freaking out because like so the satellites are going haywire. Um, and we meet his his boss Harvey Firestein, who he's so fucking good in this movie. I love this guy so much. I really do. Yeah, Harvey Firestein, just so fucking funny, man. And he's like, tells him that, you know, they're getting static from the satellites. Nothing's working. Jeff Goldblum gets pissed off about a Coke can and the trash and not the recycling. And he puts it into the recycling. And this is, I think we could talk about the corporate greenwashing because this movie is obviously got product placement from Coca-Cola. <laughs> yeah, this moment of lowering your carbon footprint is brought to you by Coca-Cola. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, so here's the thing, folks. Most like major national recycling campaigns in the United States are backed by these massive corporations because they are trying to greenwash the fact that like they imposed single use plastics and single use packaging on us and have brainwashed us into thinking that it's our responsibility to like clean up the fucking mess that they've imposed on us. And so this movie is absolutely a part of that corporate greenwashing. The whole like Jeff Goldblum's obsession with recycling and whatever and putting Coca-Cola products in a recycling bin. It's more of this bullshit. They should clean up their own fucking mess. Rant over. Sponsor us, Coca-Cola. Yes. Fuck you, give us money, Coca-Cola. <laughs> so Jeff Goldblum asks Harvey Firestein, like, why didn't they just bounce the signal off another one of their satellites? And he's like, they tried to, but it, it's almost like it, they weren't even there. Uh, and he shows Jeff Goldblum a very concerning piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> so cut to the desert. We're in the Imperial Valley Desert of California, like kind of close to the Mexican border. Not really. This was actually shot in the Nevada Desert, but the movie's like telling us that. Desert's a desert, man. Who gives desert's a, a desert. That's racist towards deserts. Not all deserts look alike. Yes, they do. Can you be racist to a desert? They're all the same. Even though the fact that all that means is you don't have precipitation so Technically, Antarctica is a desert. They're all the same. Wow. Okay. Uh, deserts out there, don't write us being offended. Uh, <laughs> this is a John thing, not a Nick and Jules thing. You you take you you tweet at him. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Come at me online. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have a Twitter. So the, I think they're watching the, the the original The Day the Earth Stood Still on TV. I think that's that's the movie they're watching. But, you know, they, the, the signal's bad. These kids' names are unimportant. They're just Randy Quaid's kids. Well, maybe the older brother, Miguel. And then some farmer comes to their trailer. They're like in an RV trailer thing. That's where they live and shows them that his crops have been ruined and that Randy Quaid better get his plane up there and dust his crops in 20 minutes or he's fired. Okay, what the fuck is wrong with these crops? Because he's like, I got a whole field full of these. And like, is what he's holding supposed to be weeds? Because I always thought there was supposed to be maybe bugs crawling or eating them, but they're fine. Are, they look a little withered. The point is he tore them out, threw them in the back of his truck and stormed to the trailer park to demonstrate. Yeah, seriously. What the fuck, Lucas? That's this character's name, by the way. And I do want to talk about him for a moment because this actor here is John Bradley. Okay. And you know how um, on IMDb, like when there's multiple people with the same name, they have the little Roman numeral in the brackets. This is John Bradley 1. John Bradley 24 is the star of Moonfall. Whoa. <laughs> He's the guy you might know as Sam Tarly from Game of Thrones, so they both had the same name. But this dude is indeed number one because he was in an episode of Baywatch. Yay! Of course he was. One of the few people to actually die during a rescue. He, he was a surfer who drowned in one episode. And now he's a pissed off farmer in the middle of the desert. Don't think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so cut to Miguel, the eldest son. He's driving a motorcycle to try and find Randy Quaid, who's flying a Red Baron biplane, and he crop dusts the wrong fields. And apparently you could just land biplanes in the middle of the road if you're sufficiently far away from a town or city. Or have a small bottle of whiskey you've been working on. <laughs> if you've been drinking, it definitely helps. Millennial Rewind does not endorse flying and drinking. <laughs> when you're flying drunk, anything's a landing strip. <laughs> 
I want to shout out to the family, which is so happy that he just dusted their crops. Yeah, no shit. They got their crops dusted for free. I know. It was just brilliant little touch there. I enjoyed it. But yeah, the son is very, very disappointed. Randy Quaid and drives away and Randy Quaid takes a big swig of whiskey. But there is the magic of film here where uh, Miguel's on a motorcycle yelling at Randy Quaid. And then he's in his open cockpit biplane. Like, hey, Miguel, how you doing? Like, they're having a conversation back and forth somehow. I love it. I love it. The human voice was a lot stronger in 1996. A lot of people don't remember this. Well, a lot of people haven't gotten over that, and that's why they hold their phones out in front of them on speaker, you know, to shout at it. Look, if you are that person, go drown yourself in a lake. (laughs) You, you, You are what's wrong with the species, and we hate you. But it doesn't work right when I put it up to my face. The signal's weird. Yeah, get a different phone. Or just get some earbuds. Get some Bluetooth goddamn earbuds. Anyways, anyways. Uh, in space, we see little flag saucers flying down to Earth from the mothership. And then we get White House establishing seizures. Goddamn. <laughs> I was literally on the floor frothing at the mouth at this point. Bit my tongue. It was it was bad, guys. It was bad. Oh, man. This movie has some of the most intense establishing shots you have ever fucking seen. <laughs> uh, so in the Oval Office, Bill Pullman and his inner circle trying to figure out what to do about this thing in space. And some military dudes walk in with this fucking briefcase. I don't know what the fuck this briefcase is about. Uh, that show that there are lots of little objects and they're about to enter the atmosphere. I love the fact that they have to point out that these pieces that are breaking off and splitting are smaller than the whole thing was to begin with. (laughs) I mean, it's not uh, obvious. When we're talking about scale, by the way, as I mentioned earlier, this is a a quarter the size of our moon. So just to clarify, a single nuclear warhead would not make a dent in something of this size, right? Right. I I don't know. Okay, sure, I'll roll with it. (laughs) That's why you shoot lots of them. We have more than one nuclear missile. (laughs) Of course. Uh, Sidebar, you know there was an American plot to nuke the moon to scare the Russians that got... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there was literally like in the 50s or 60s they were like yeah we should like nuke the moon to show the russians we can and that'll like scare them america stupid ideas are not a current thing yep. they're not a new thing they're not new <laughs> yeah we'll nuke the moon we'll nuke a hurricane yeah but like this briefcase that these two military dudes bring in to like show like this i guess infrared scattergram image thing it's like you you bring this thing in in like a nuclear football suitcase to show this like one red image you could have brought a paper printout of what you guys had seen this was overkill yeah but this makes it official. Yeah. It looked a bit like an x-ray. Like they needed light behind it. Kinda it kind of does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it looked like... It's the 90s, though, so like they wheel in the overhead projector and put the transparency on the... <laughs> <laughs> and they use, they use the metric system, which I kind of like. They use kilometers instead of miles. Uh, officially, the U.S. military uses the metric system. Oh, is yes. that right? No, yeah. Right. Has, <laughs> yeah, because we have to be like interoperable with NATO. Like it's only fair that we learn. So when the metric. fuck is the rest of America going to learn? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, even though I am the worst military kid ever, all my clocks are still in twenty-four hour format. This is why I like you, John. <laughs> But this is also where, um, you know, the guy's like, hey, the satellites are unreliable. This could pass us by. We don't know what it is, right? This is still that scene? I think so, yeah. Okay. The dude who says that is Chris Pine's dad. Oh. Okay. Yeah. And, I mean, he's <laughs> he's kind of a plain-looking dude. You're kind of like, really? Chris Pine came in from, from him? And, like, he's just been around. 
it, in little bits here and there. Never really blew up. But he was also in Baywatch. <laughs> That's the important thing is that he was in Baywatch. There was an episode where Hoff got temporarily paralyzed. This dude is the doctor who gives him the bad news about his spinal injury. And if this little synopsis sounds familiar, that's because it's the same episode where we met Jake from Candyman. Get the fuck out. <laughs> there is a hell of a lot of Baywatch appearances in this movie, but it's mostly like radar tech number two or something. So that's my <laughs> last one. I'm not going to, you know, okay. I got two in in one episode, so I'm good. I swear our string map is looking all the more insane right now. <laughs> Oh my god, everything is Baywatch. In the everything 90s. leads back to the Hoff. <laughs> uh, so cut to racism. <laughs> and look, I am sure there are some nomadic people still left in the Middle East, but we have seen enough fucking footage from Iraq to know that they have cities and shit. Like, you don't need to show us some fucking like, dwe desert dwellers to... Can I... Okay, since you've brought this up, can I jump to the end of the movie real quick? I mean, everyone knows this goddamn movie anyway. Sure. When the ships are crashing all around the world and we cut to Africa and it's people with spears. Mm -hmm. Yes, like right in front of Kiliman Mount Kilimanjaro. Yes. Yeah. Goddamn it, movie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, this movie, if you're not a white American, you are like a primitive brown person. That Those are the options in Independence Day world. As an American, I can assert that that is a fact. <laughs> And so, yeah, they, these these like northern nomadic Iraqis um, see some sort of fire and smoke phenomenon in the sky. And then on a U.S. submarine, some fucker yells captain on deck when the CEO is obviously a fucking commander again. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, the kid that grew up on military bases does not notice. <laughs> I mean, I don't know whether like submariners just refer to like. I'm sure they call like the whoever's like running the thing the skipper, but they wouldn't say captain on deck. Like I don't think because and here's the thing: a commander does run a submarine. Like that is like the rank is correct for being the CO on the ship, unlike Top Gun. I've often found that to be the most hilarious line for any submarine because if the captain's on deck while you're submerged, something's gone very wrong. You have internal decks. That's, they also <laughs> refer to those as decks, but I get what you're saying. Why must you be the screen door on my submarine? <laughs> <laughs> putting that in my biography uh, so yeah they see some crazy shit on infrared so they gotta warn Atlantcom or whatever the fuck now we see a bunch of these like phenomena appearing in skies all over the world and these news reports are brought to you by Sky News and then an AWACS flies off the coast of California into a fireball where the fuck did, like why is yeah, there a fire? I don't get this because uh, you know they 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 want to fly in and investigate this phenomenon and what's going on and it's supposed to be this big reveal surprise when they come across the fireball and fly into it but looking at the cloud from the ground you can tell there's like fucking explosions or something going on in there right like i, I think they're trying to allude to you know the friction that air that uh, spacecraft encounter when they re-enter the atmosphere but that doesn't create a fireball Okay, first of all, I'm not going to get into the technicality that it's not actually friction. But anyway, I get what you're saying. But my point is, you can see this from the ground looking at it, and they decide to fly a plane into it. A radar plane. Yeah, you see there's active explosions going on, so let's walk inside. Like That's the mentality that's going on here. And then it's supposed to be a surprise when they do fly into a giant ball of fire and it roasts them. 
<laughs> this doesn't make any sense. And I love it. <laughs> and it's always about what the pilots see, right? As opposed to photographs or radar signatures or anything that... I mean, you're using a radar plane, for fuck's sake. Yes, yes, but you see, this is actually excellent storytelling. It's um, it's Chekhov's eyesight, because <laughs> later on, it is stressed how much we need visual confirmation. Of course. Independence Day, smarter than you thought. But not by much. <laughs> we can find out that one of these things is heading to New York, one's heading to D.C., and one's heading to L.A., and they need to evacuate uh, Bill Pullman, president, to a secure location. But he's not going anywhere. You take the VP cabinet and joint chiefs, and you take them to a secure location. And Robert Loja uh, asks to stay with the president. Yeah, my note here is President pulls a Zelensky and then turns to Robert Lozier and basically says, we're fucked. Yeah, because it's like, you know, what happens if they do become hostile? Then God help us. <laughs> so many conversations in this movie only happen because they know there's a camera on them. <laughs> <laughs> no one talks like this, actually, and that's what I love about this movie. <laughs> So back at the satellite company, apparently uh, Jeff Goldblum can now hear the signal that Seti was picking up on. Just whatever fucking equipment he happens to have is in his office is like picking up this signal. I like how he prints off the ones and zeros. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> he prints out some fucking binary. <laughs> Which confirms that Jeff Goldblum is actually in the Matrix right now, right? Uh, No. The Matrix has fucking kanji in it, man. That's that's way beyond binary. Well, my note here is apparently the aliens broadcast in binary, which is nice of them. That helps helps us figure their shit out. Jeff Goldblum has f figured out that the signal is getting weaker with every cycle, and based off of this, he's calculated it's going to stop broadcasting in seven hours. That's not how well anything. shorter, not weaker, just shorter. It's it's on a loop. But it get but um, each loop is smaller and smaller and smaller. My my favorite part of this is that every time Jeff Goldblum talks about recycling, no one listens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't wait till we get to the moral of the story, which is eh, doesn't really matter anyway. <laughs> Thank you. So Harvey Firestein and the other staff are watching TV and freaking out because, you know, the president's saying that there's there's aliens. Uh, and somebody mentions that there's actually an old bomb shelter in the building. So they all like run down there. So back in the desert, Randy Quaid is drinking coffee in a roadhouse and uh, has apparently parked his plane outside because it's just a fucking flying car, apparently. Yeah, roads are runways. We've already established this. <laughs> <laughs> and a bunch of local good old boys come in and start making fun of him because uh, Randy Quaid believes that he was abducted by aliens. And uh, the thought of Randy Quaid being sexually violated by said aliens is very funny to one of these guys. But yeah, Randy Quaid still appears to be very drunk as he drinks his coffee. Is this um, Busey Leary factor? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Randy Quaid was not given lines in this movie, and he absolutely believed that there was an alien invasion going on. I will bet everything I fucking I mean, have aliens have been in Hollywood since facts. the 1920s, right? I mean, yeah, they're, they are part of the lizard conspiracy <laughs> to take over the world with the Illuminati, obviously, like we all know this. Crab people, crab people. <laughs> so he tries to leave, but the earth starts shaking, and back at the RV, the kids see something in the sky that looks like what appeared over Iraq, and a shadow starts to cover Los Angeles. Maybe Randy Quaid should fly into the cloud to investigate it. <laughs> 
<laughs> I do like the suspense of the shadows, though. It's really good. Yeah, because we also get one that goes over DC and poor little Mae Whitman that apparently only I know who she is gets scared. I like the shadows and I like the tension, but at the same time, we've already seen the ship. Yeah, we have. There's a bit of like monster problem going on here. Uh, New York also gets overshadowed, and I've got to make an obligatory reference that, oh, the Twin Towers, we see them. Mm -hmm. So Jeff Goldblum heads over to the roof to the sea, and we finally get a spaceship reveal. Actually, that's stupid. No, we don't get a reveal. It's treated as a reveal, but we have seen these ships because they, when they splintered off from the mothership, we saw them. Yeah, exactly. You're right. Uh, yeah, so New York just starts panicking like a motherfucker. Like one cop just like stops his <laughs> car so in the middle much. of an intersection <laughs> and just gets out like, oh. His car gets absolutely destroyed and he's just like, oh, fuck that car. This shit's <laughs> staring at this is the beginning of the best movie extras ever. They all sort of slowly walk up to stare at the at the ship and they're all gunning for s screen time and the, every single one of them makes the most of it. It's so good. It's great. Jeff Goldblum, like in this moment, figures out what the signal means. And I got to say, I don't know, maybe maybe this is just my opinion, but I feel like Jeff Goldblum wasn't giving us his best compared to Jurassic Park. I feel like Jeff Goldblum knew what movie he was in and just kind of left a lot on the table. I feel. Uh, so now we're in LA and we're with Will Smith and Vivica A. Fox. Vivica? <laughs> Isn't it Vivica? 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 I don't know who the fuck anyone is. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're going with Vivica the rest of this time. <laughs> I do have a huge smile uh, when it comes to Will Smith's reaction to the earthquake because his reaction is literally the first reaction I had when I first moved to LA and felt the very first earthquake. I was asleep, I was hungover, <laughs> and I just heard the faint sound of uh, my roommate at the time saying, Jules, Jules, get in the doorway. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Going back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. First of all, don't go in the doorway. That's not how, what you're supposed to do. Get under something really solid. That's actually what you're supposed to do during an earthquake. I was sleeping underneath a chandelier, so it was even better. I mean, if you're going to die during a quake, you may as well doing it while having rich people problems. So, you know, it's cool. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, Vivica or Vivica, whatever. Pick your favorite pronunciation. I don't know. Vivica! <laughs> but her dog brings in Will Smith's sneakers because the dog's going to be a character. Will Smith goes to the bathroom, got some dog tags. So we know he's a military dude. Takes a pee and he looks outside like well, the neighbors are freaking out and like packing their cars like, oh, earthquake must have scared them. Goes outside to get the paper and he sees the ship. So back in New York, Jeff Goldblum saying Harvey Feierstein about the signal he picked up. It's a countdown, you know, like just like chess, you got to move your pieces into strategic positions because all these ships have been going to major cities around the world. And then what happens when the signal stops? Checkmate. You know who does know exactly what kind of movie they're in? Harvey goddamn Feierstein. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I gotta call my mother. I gotta call my therapist. I gotta call my lawyer. Oh, I don't have to call him. I love it so much that I actually forgive the cliched lawyer joke. He literally delivers the whole thing like he's setting up a joke. Forget my lawyer is not an afterthought. It was clearly what he was building up to. <laughs> no one talks like this in this situation. Harvey Firestein knows what movie he's in and gives it 9,000%. That is the end of Harvey Firestein for this movie so yeah almost get it while you can 
so Jeff Goldblum tries to call Connie, uh, who we learn is his ex. This is his ex-wife, uh, Connie, the press secretary at the White House. And he's trying to warn her about the upcoming attack, but she thinks he's just being paranoid, so she hangs up the phone. Bill Pullman also announced that him and the staff are going to be staying at the White House, so Jeff Goldblum's like, he's going to go try and get to Connie. So he goes into a very panicked New York City. Uh, so back in Will Smith, uh, back in Will Smith. <laughs> Every Friday night. Uh, yes, we are now inside <laughs> Will Smith. The proper setting for any good story. <laughs> back in California, uh, Will Smith has to go back to El Toro, and Vivica slash Vivica A. Fox isn't happy about that. And hey, John, uh, so when Marine pilots go on leave, no idea. do they have to wear their full service? Like your parents no never... You didn't watch your fair. God damn it. <laughs> useless. Goddamn useless. Well, he's in his like the thing before the, the Marine Blues, like the one below that. This is movie military guy. So he has to be in some sort of uniform at all times. Yeah. So, you know, Vika Fox is like freaking out, not happy about him going back. And he's like, you know, because there's this fucking spaceship outside. She's got a point, Will. <laughs> she does have a point. She does have a point, but orders are orders. And yes, they can cancel your leave and you're signed in. You are their product basically you have to do what they say exactly so comms are down it's like look i don't think they flew all this way to start a fight famous last words <laughs> tells her to pack some things and stay on base with him you know see that there's nothing to worry about um john you obviously don't know the answer to this because you don't know anything but hey can marine pilots just bring their girlfriends and their kids onto base just because i mean you can have visitors okay I guess uh, you can have visitors. So, yeah, there's some teasing and smoochings just so you know that they're in love. Will Smith clucks. And I feel like that rhymes with something, but I can't figure out what. Clucks? <laughs> he clucks like a chicken. He does do the little pecar. Oh, I, I totally blanked on that. Cut to a screaming New York City. Uh, Jeff Goldblum arrives at Judd Hirsch's house. Judd Hirsch comes out with a shotgun and just like points it at his face. <laughs> He's my hero at this point. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Jeff Goldblum was almost kind of ready for it. Like he he reacts very well <laughs> of getting out of the way and pointing that shotgun away from his face. <laughs> This is not the first time Judd Hirsch has nearly blown Jeff Goldblum's head off <laughs> in this movie universe. It yeah, has happened yeah, multiple in times. In this situation, the city's in a panic and he's worried about looters, but clearly this is what happens every time Jeff Goldblum comes over. <laughs> so yeah, he's like, hey, you still got the Pontiac? He's like, yeah, like, why, why, you want to go driving? And he's like, yeah, you're, no, you're driving. We're going, he's like, what, I'm, dri I'm driving? So, yeah, Judd Hirsch and Jeff Goldblum are going to be going for a drive. Bill Pullman calls his wife, tells her to get out of L.A., but she's only going to leave once her interviews are done. Cut to Jeff Goldblum and Judd Hirsch fleeing a matte painting of New York City. Judd Hirsch asks Jeff Goldblum what makes him think, you know, that he knows what's going on more so than the government. You know, you went to MIT for eight years and you, you, you went to work for a cable company. You know, if they want HBO, they'll call you. I always got the idea that it was just like a, a cover, but not like, you know, top tier government thing because they talk about how he turned down other jobs and shit. But that literally just being a TV troubleshooter, whatever. I don't know. I guess the office looked too nice. Yeah, he is. He is eminently overqualified for his current position. I still say the offices are way too high tech for a cable company. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, back in the Imperial Valley, uh, Randy Quaid is getting arrested on TV. Uh, his exposition dump makes the news. 
<laughs> because Ito says that he got abducted by aliens. They've been probing us for weaknesses. We got to get out of here. And uh, apparently the local news just happens to know that he has PTSD and they just have his Vietnam era pictures just there. Look, I know it's really hard to understand in um, in our modern times, but there was a period in history where journalists investigated and knew what the fuck they were talking about before putting out a story. Just saying. <laughs> Yeah, but just the fact that they turn this around so fast. Or maybe just like he's made the news so much that they just have the Randy Quaid file. <laughs> he seems to be pretty well known in the area, at least. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, they're the the kids are like, all right, we got to get out of here. And uh, Miguel cock blocks his sister because he's an asshole. Randy Quaid makes it back right before his kids abandoned him. They were just gonna leave his ass out there. <laughs> But then he got let out of jail. I got a note here. Why is he so keen for everyone to get as far away from this place as they can when they're clearly not near a major city? (laughs) Yeah, so supposedly, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I agree with you because these, like, these saucers that go over the cities are supposed to be like 15 miles across, right? The Imperial Valley is way the fuck, way more than 15 miles away from LA. They could just stay there. Absolutely, Jules. You make a very good fucking point here. Geographically, there is no reason for them to move. Yeah, I mean, much later there's the, oh, there's a spaceship heading this way, so then it makes sense to get the fuck out, but right now? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right now, no. Like, where are you going? Into Mexico? So yeah, at uh, Marine Corps Air Station El Toro, the pilots are waiting, you know, watching the news. Uh, that's telling Angelinos to not fire their guns at the alien spacecraft. Whoever came up with that bit is they did not get paid enough for it. Genius, because like yeah, you might start an interstellar <laughs> war. So good, so good. Oh man! And of course, we all know that they all fired at once at the alien spacecraft. <laughs> It's like, hey, look, we're Los Angeles. We're not fucking Texas, okay? Like, <laughs> right. So we did it as a welcoming. Yeah. If anything, we like <laughs> shot illegal fireworks at them. Like that's that's the way more Angelino thing to do. No, at this point, the Angelino started their own cult. Oh, basically, yeah. Started some alien worshiping cult, which we will see the remnants of later. <laughs> so we meet Will Smith's best buddy, Herrick, Harry Connick Jr. Uh, the co-pilot is my hero on this. I love him to pieces. <laughs> He's not a co-pilot. Oh, no, he's not a co-pilot. No, he's a wingman. Will Smith gets a rejection letter from NASA because when there's an alien invasion going on, the fact that you can't go into space is super-duper fucking important. (laughs) Damn right. (laughs) Will Smith has got his priorities straight. And Harry Connick Jr. gives him some very sage advice. He's like, yeah, man, you got to kiss some serious booty to get ahead in this world. And I like to do like a down on one knee. He gets like down on one knee, like starts framing Will Smith's (laughs) ass like in between his hands. (laughs) Again, shit that only happens because there's a camera on them. Like, you can have this conversation, but no one is going to say this while standing behind you and getting down to look at... Well, I guess some people might, if that's your thing, but still. Well, yeah, so Will Smith, like, dejectedly opens his locker with mise-en-scene to let you know that he really wanted to be an astronaut. Which I can confirm, yes, military pilots treat their lockers like they're high schoolers. They love to decorate and put up pictures and all sorts of stuff. (laughs) 
turns around and shows Harry Connick Jr., who's still on one knee, the wedding ring he got for... No, he drops it. Oh, he drops it. Okay. It falls out when he opens his locker. But yeah, and then he holds it out saying, this is a wedding ring, and he gets interrupted by another pilot who sees him on one knee with a wedding ring offering to Will Smith. (laughs) That's a really good punchline. And the dude, like, he just, he walks in, he sees him, and he just kind of puts those hands up like, it's cool, and backs out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you need privacy. <laughs> but he also tells Will Smith that he's not going to become an astronaut if he marries a stripper. Cut to Vivica A. Fox uh, stripping in front of an American flag. Patriotic Where stripping. else do you? <laughs> and I just want to make a note that uh, military guys dating strippers is a proud tradition in the United States Armed Forces. <laughs> I will neither confirm nor deny. (laughs) While she's stripping, all the patrons are watching the TV, which begs the question, why did the patrons go into the strip club to begin with? Because it's a strip club. What I find even more amazing is as she walks into the back room, once her set's done, she believes that she's off her game and that's why people aren't watching her and tipping her. She went into work knowing an alien invasion is happening and is amazed that people are not paying attention to her and thinks it's her fault. (laughs) This movie is fucking bizarre. (laughs) It's very bizarre. Well, they don't know alien invasion yet. They assume contact, right? Yeah. Yeah, still. If there's a giant saucer in the sky, I am not going into work. I am not going into work. I'm just like, there's a fucking alien saucer in the sky. Um, Good luck with fucking whatever we do at this company. Like, that is... <laughs> That is not happening. And then I go walking down the sidewalk with my earbuds in, just like, do, 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 just another day, nothing really going on. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, we meet her stripper friend in the back who don't even need to know her name. Just she's stripper friend. Tiffany. Tiffany's my people. She's she's going out there with a big sign saying, welcome, make yourself at home. (laughs) Vivica Fox is just like, hey, uh, promise me you won't go because that's fucking stupid. And um, this is where we learn that Vivica Fox is an idiot because her friend obviously lies to her. Like, obviously lies to her. About saying, oh, I won't go. Like, doesn't even look at her in the eye. It's just like, nope, nope, she lied to you. But she accepts it. So Jeff Goldblum and Judd Hirsch enter DC. Jeff Goldblum uses the power of a mini CD and a laptop to find Connie's cell phone number. Yep. He's got a a mini CD, which is every phone book in the country. Yes, every phone book in the country. She's got her cell phone listed, apparently. And because her portable phone is busy, he needs feels the need to triangulate her position with a device he has that he puts on the roof of the car where they park outside the White House. Yeah, but not just, oh, she's at the White House. No shit, she's at work. He is triangulating her exact position within the White House <laughs> so they can park outside the appropriate window for her to look out and see that he's there. <laughs> And, and so here's the thing. Uh, so when they parked outside of the White House and put a little satellite dish on the roof of the car, one of the Secret Service agents on the <laughs> roof just shot Jeff Goldblum in the head and the movie was over for, for Jeff Goldblum. It was weird. And that's the day environmentalism died. <laughs> <laughs> and my question is, again, you know, with all the satellite disruption, why are all the satellites working? <laughs> it's, it's the cell phone towers he's triangulating with the cell phone towers i don't know man so she she he calls her on her mobile or portable and he's, he's like oh how'd you get this number because it was listed and he just looked it up yeah it's your fucking listed number connie really tells her to go to the window so he can wave at her and she's like how does he do that um takes him into the oval office and that's where we find out that uh jeff goldblum 
punched Bill Pullman years ago before he was the president because he thought Connie and him were having an affair. So Connie calls Bill Pullman in, uh, who, despite hating Jeff Goldblum, he's gonna he's gonna hear him out. He's gonna hear him out. And apparently, the aliens have been using our satellites to beam signals around the planet so they could coordinate their attack with all the ships that are positioned around the world. And they only have like thirty minutes. I do appreciate that they acknowledge that it actually takes time to travel from one place to another because we started off with seven hours to go. Yeah, that's very nice. I want to point out what amused me, which is we're down to the last vestige of communication, like radio signals, calls, any other forms of communication around the window. So they decide to include a helicopter with bright, shiny lights to communicate. <laughs> well, obviously. I mean, what are they going to do? Play music notes at it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Show me what you got. We want to see what you got. <laughs> no, Close Encounters reference. God damn it. Well, I know you made a Close Encounters reference, but then I made a Rick and Morty reference. God damn it. Well, and unsurprisingly, this welcome wagon, this flashy helicopter gets blown the fuck out of the sky. So now we're setting up to the big moment. A bunch of stuff's happening simultaneously here. Jeff Goldblum, Judd Hirsch, Bill Pullman, and Mae Whitman fly away in Marine One. And the First Lady is getting ready to evacuate L.A. by getting in a regular-ass helicopter. Just just a regular-ass helicopter. Yep. This is definitely one of the most iconic sequences. Of oh, life. for sure. It really is. Oh, oh, real quick. While we were on the First Lady, I just love how she turns back and has a, a longing look to all the people partying. <laughs> I get the feeling that she wants to join them, is my point. I got the sense that it was just kind of like, oh, I'm going to live and all these people are going to die. No, she's sad for the life that she could have lived if, you know, she wasn't married to the president. Okay, we clearly have our own <laughs> headcanon here. Uh, so Vivica Fox and her kid are trying to drive out of L.A. And this blows my fucking mind because her house is clearly many, 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 many miles. I think to the south of fucking downtown. So how is she caught anywhere near a fucking tunnel in L.A.? She drove into work. Clearly, she brings her dog and kid to work every day. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, apparently that's what happened. Doggy kid daycare at this strip club is amazing. Amazing benefits package and other perks at the strip club. It's top notch. <laughs> Speaking of stripper friend, uh, she's now on the roof of well, what is now the U.S. Bank Tower in downtown Los Angeles. And now we get not only like the iconic sequence of the movie, but like I think just one of the most iconic sequences in all of moviedom, which is the bottoms of the, the saucers open. A Listerine colored light. Listerine. <laughs> cool men. Yeah, not that standard piss yellow color. <laughs> Just to be clear. Yeah, the cool men. Yeah, I don't associate Listerine with the piss color. I associate <laughs> it with the cool men color. <laughs> and this Listerine doesn't just kill cavities. Kills the best movie extras. Kills all the extras. All they wanted was for them to bring back Elvis. I mean, come on. <laughs> That's all they wanted. And uh, the blonde extra, I want to give a shout out to that guy because he goes from the from the stare to the the best wide-eyed woe in movie history. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. I even noticed how the, the single guy in the office building, I, I don't know why, just... I, it looks exactly like Nick. <laughs> Before he plus uh, I resent that. I'm way hotter than this guy. <laughs> yeah, so basically, beams of lasers come down onto the U.S. Bank Tower in downtown, 
blows up the fucking Empire State Building, just sends ripples of fucking flame and everywhere. Cause a lot of cars to spontaneously flip. A lot of flipping cars. Yeah, this explosion is amazing because apparently it has the ability to slow down time. You see people running away from the explosion and they are running in real time, but all the cars and debris that are getting blasted are tumbling in slow-mo. <laughs> so clearly the closer you get to the explosion, the slower you move. <laughs> <laughs> also, Air Force One fails at putting on sunglasses as it escapes the fireball. Well, it didn't cause the explosion, so that's why. Yeah, the, uh, Air Force One very narrowly escapes. Um, the White House gets like blown up, and that's also iconic. Like one of the hel- the second Marine One helicopter tries to lift off and blows up in front of it. Just iconic moment in the movie. Harvey Firesteed gets blown up in his car trying to get out of New York. He's like. Oh, crap. (laughs) (laughs) There is some fun to be had with the uh, explosion in the tunnel with... um with Vivica and her kid <laughs> because on top of it being nice and slow the dog's name it turns out is Boomer so there is ah oh, so many okay Boomer moments after that <laughs> that is literally what my note is of we don't give a fuck about anybody who got roasted alive in this tunnel but at least the dog made it okay Boomer <laughs> <laughs> but there's also when she goes in that door the fire decides to not go around corners no no it doesn't it just travels in a straight line but i i kind of want to call back to toy story for a moment because jules you brought up like how does the dog not understand the danger of like running through lanes of traffic boomer stands there as a fireball's running through a tunnel, people are <laughs> running for their lives. Cars and debris are flying everywhere. He just stands there like, Dee! until Vivica calls for him <laughs> once she's gotten to safety. Safety and big fucking scare quotes. Well, yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, apparently fire just doesn't go around corners into areas where there's oxygen. That's just not how fire works in Roland Emmerich's world. Nope. The fire are oh, the bullets from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> Where'd she go? She went that away. <laughs> That's my all-time favorite fucking movie. You name anything and I can quote it. <laughs> The one thing that's fucking crazy, I mean, of all the crazy things about this sequence is that she also kicks down this maintenance door that's padlocked and she's got heels on. (laughs) Just kicks this door down with heels. Dude, you got to have a lot of athleticism to work that pole. That's all I'm saying. Apparently, hot damn. So uh, a non-explodey title uh, lets us know that it's now July 3rd. I was very sad about the non-explodiness. Yeah. And the Statue of Liberty is taking a nap in the Hudson. <laughs> hey, when you've been standing around for a century or so, you know, you deserve the rest, lady. So it's, it's cool. <laughs> uh Randy Quaid keeps telling us he's like, I've been telling you it's true for ten damn years. The younger son needs to pull over and barf for they find uh just a giant trailer park caravan in the desert. Except that younger son just kind of casually spits. He's like, I feel sick, and then he gets out and <laughs> You know, goes to the side of the dirt road and he's like, no, no, it's cool. Uh, They did not have fake vomit budget on Independence Day. So on Air Force One, uh, Robert Loja tells Bill Pullman that his wife never made it to Nellis Air Force Base and there's no radio contact with her helicopter. Sad Bill Pullman. 
at El Toro. Will Smith and uh, Harry Connick Jr. getting ready to kick E.T.'s butt. Wait one sec. Before that, Vivica emerging from the wreckage with her son. There is a moment where the son asks his mother what happened. And she says she doesn't know when it's pretty clear what just happened. (laughs) The aliens attacked. This is not a bright kid. Not a bright kid. This little boy had um, an oddly pretty good career. Oh. Prior to this, his first role was Buckwheat when they made the Little Rascals movie in the 90s. (laughs) Okay. He uh, voiced one of the puppies in Babe, and he had previously worked with Will Smith on Fresh Prince. Oh, shit. Crazy. I mean, he's he's still no Jake from Candyman, but yeah, pretty good. Pretty solid resume. The one guy. Yes, the one guy. (laughs) The one guy. (laughs) So at El Toro, Will Smith and Harry Connick Jr. get ready to kick E.T.'s butt. Everyone, they're passing out cigars, but you can't light up the cigar until the fat lady sings. Even though Harry Connick Jr. does a little bit of singing, and I like this because it's it's kind of the thing that anyone would do, you know? Hey, you got the cigar of the victory. Oh, I got it here. You know, it's not like, oh, he's a singer. Let's give him a song to sing. They didn't, like, force that on us. But he did get a little moment to shine. It's nice. He, yeah, because he de- they definitely made him sing in Memphis Bell uh, a couple years prior. And then we get the line, don't get premature on me, soldier. And if I had a dime for every time my girlfriend told me that. <laughs> uh, also, we learn from the sides of their planes that their call signs are Eagle and Raven. And we know that that's bullshit. <laughs> they would not be given cool <laughs> call signs. We, we discussed this during Top Gun. Will Smith's plane says sundown too. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. <laughs> I got to go to hell at some point. <laughs> you 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 got an express ticket there. <laughs> so true. Uh yeah, so also like Will Smith, I think they're flying. He's like, "Yeah, I sh- like I shouldn't have left because they they see the destru- destroyed city as they're flying over and he says that he shouldn't have left Vivica Fox and uh yeah, but then you would have been a wall. Will, you would have been fucking a wall. <laughs> And dead. And dead. You would have been AWOL and dead. And so they fire their missiles. Doesn't work because there's obviously a fucking shield. But Will Smith and his squadron got to get real fucking close to fire their second missile. And for one of their guys to like porkins themselves when they pull up. I was going to say, yeah, some porkins moment. <laughs> How the hell did they not see the force field the first time they shot their missiles? I know. Agreed. <laughs> Well, anyways, uh, some alien fighters come out, and they've also got shields, so nothing's working. But we also get the there's too many of them cliche. Uh, yep, I had that bingo stamp as well. Very nice. There's too many of them, <laughs> and shooting green lasers around, and Will Smith going, oh, no, you did not shoot that green shit at me. And so Bill Pullman calls for a retreat because they're dropping like flies, and Will Smith and Harry Connick Jr. get low and fast, but they've got aliens on their tails. And, okay, what the fuck does Harry Connick Jr. do here? Like, like the, 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 nothing about this makes sense to me. You mean when he removes his oxygen mask because he can't breathe? Yes, he removes his <laughs> oxygen mask because he can't breathe with the oxygen mask on. Yeah, he, like, flies up and slows down and basically just lets the aliens shoot him. Well... Will Smith also has to coach this other fighter pilot on basic aviation techniques and at what speeds you can and cannot bank. Yeah, apparently Pericotic Juju just like wigs the fuck out. Also, how does he get to the Grand Canyon from Los Angeles so fast? Jets. 
jets fuck me yeah so because you got to have like the, the 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 flying through the grand canyon sea which is great but it just like in terms of like geography makes no goddamn sense this movie clearly loved star wars yeah you have to have the trench well we we already have porkins we already have there's too many of them so of course you got to have a trench run sure just like beggar's canyon back home you dropped your parachute on mom brats that's weird <laughs> They only get about to a meter and a half. So one of the alien ships crashes, but the other one's hot on Will Smith's tail, but he's almost out of fuel. So what he does is he deploys his brake parachute out the back to blind the alien craft. He ejects, and somehow the alien ship crashes above, like crests the ridge of the canyon and crashes above as opposed to like ramming into the side, which I feel like would have been more logical. I think the idea is it did ram into the side, but came out upwards, and the shield protected it from that initial crash. That's the volleyball I got. Because it comes up with dirt, you know, dusting everywhere. The, the way it's traveling with that skimming with the dirt and stuff, it more of like scraped across rather than hitting the wall and like flying up, I would say. I mean, we already teleported to the Grand Canyon, so really, what are we nitpicking for? Because it's our job, John. It's our job. It's our job that we voluntarily don't get paid for. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, the alien ship crashes. Will Smith, fuck it. Holy shit, this is a hard landing. When he parachutes to the ground, I was like, how did he not break his legs here? That was a hell of a sound effect, you have to Ooh, say. <laughs> yeah, it made this a very juicy landing. Goes up to the alien ship. The alien ship opens up. Like, the technically thing comes out. He Chris rocks him in the face. And then... <laughs> no, 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 no. That implies that Chris Rock did the swinging. Okay, okay, okay. Will Smith, Will Smith's the alien. Yes. <laughs> yes. He treats the alien like Chris Rock. There you go. Knocks him out. It is honestly one of the, one of the funnest moments. <laughs> All previous, like, alien movies, you know, that's so all-powerful and strong and humans don't have a chance. It's a horrifying thing to look at, but it's the first moment I feel like a human just like, fuck this alien shit and just yeah. wallops him one. Yeah. <laughs> it was so good. You know, it's a great moment, but also we learned that this is a biomechanical suit that the actual alien is riding around in. So how the fuck did he knock him out? Like this suit must not be that shock absorbing. Well, it did just shock absorb a crash. So fair enough. It's at the edge of its tolerances. Yeah. And then we get one of the most Mandela affected moments in all of movie history. He clearly says, welcome to earth, not earth. Yeah, not Earth. He definitely did say Earth in a previous scene. I forget where he did, but he only says it once and he did not say it here. Right. And he just he says, welcome to Earth, not welcome to Earth. Yeah, but Earth is what got memed. And so, yeah. Yeah. Back in a totally normal suburb of Los Angeles, uh, Vivica A. Fox finds a highway maintenance truck. That's a joke, folks. Uh, it's just a destroyed portion of Los Angeles. And we get the key in the sun shield cliche. Yeah, the place where no one ever leaves keys. <laughs> like not once in the history of anything has anyone ever left a key in the sun shield. On the rare occasion that I leave my car unlocked, of course I leave my keys in there too. Yeah. Actually, I leave them in there when it's locked far more often. <laughs> uh, so on Air Force One, uh, Jeff Goldblum has air sickness. Judd Hirsch is trying to give him a presidential sick bag. And then he's like, look, I am a rock. 
can go up, I can go down, I can go left and right and back and forth, and this just gives Jeff Goldblum motion sickness, and despite the fact that he's got a sick bag in front of him, he feels the need to run to the bathroom to throw up, but he needs to be out of the way for the, the rest of the scene to happen, because Connie comes in, and Judd Hirsch tells her that all that Jeff Goldblum could think about was him, and that there's there's still love there between you and him, right? And she's like, love was never the problem. And then Judd Hirsch says, well, all you need is love. Bullshit. You need a lot more in this world than love. Yes, literally all the other circumstances that led to them divorcing, which part of it's gone over and they're still hung up about. But, you know, love conquers all. The one issue that I had with it watching it more recently was the fact that the issue was him being crazy jealous, right? Yes, Does he overcome that in any way in this movie? Nope. (laughs) I mean, he won't punch Bill Pullman at any point of the film, so I think that can qualify as progress. I was like, no, they actually still have a fight about it later. (laughs) Right, but there's no fisticuffs. Like, he literally No, 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 I I meant between Goldblum and Connie. Okay. This tension has not lessened over the years. So now the Secretary of Defense is trying to convince Bill Pullman to nuke the aliens, and Jeff Goldblum overhears this and tells them, like, no, because then everyone's going to nuke the aliens, and it's going to be nuclear winter, we're all going to die. Stupid. So everyone's trying to kick Jeff Goldblum out, but Judd Hirsch walks in and is like, hey, you'd all be dead if it wasn't for my David. You should have known this was happening, you know, when the the alien crashed back in the 50s at Area 51, and Bill Pullman's like, no, 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 dude, there's no no Area 51, calm the fuck down. And the Secretary of Defense is like, well, actually, Mr. President, that's not quite accurate. Back in L.A., uh, Vivica A. Fox is picking up survivors, driving through, you know, more just regular Los Angeles, not smoldering heaps. You notice disaster explosion version of Los Angeles looks prettier than the actual. (laughs) (laughs) It's barely distinguishable. There's just random fires everywhere. It's it's a whole thing. Uh, so they stop to investigate some bodies, see if there's any survivors, and the dog finds the first lady who is somehow the only survivor of this helicopter crash and is next to the helicopter, not in it. That'll do, Boomer. That'll do. Good Boomer. <laughs> and these ladies have, while not perfect, astonishingly wonderful hair, given their circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> Despite all the bullshit, you know, you got to look good at the end of the world. Just They saying. did make it dusty. I'll give them that. By the way, do not, do not Google dusty ladies. You're going to get some weird shit. Dusty ladies, rubble of LA. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, cut to Will Smith dragging the alien through the Nevada desert and not the Arizona desert with his parachute. So we've gone from El Toro to the Grand Canyon to Nevada. Got it. Yeah. You gotta love his rent, though. Oh, it's yeah, so it's good. beautiful. Beautiful. Just pissed off. <laughs> this was his, you know, weekend off. He had barbecues. You had to come down and just ruin this goddamn... What the fuck is that smell? It just runs over and starts drinking it. It's like... It's amazing. <laughs> the old dreadlocks hanging out the back. Guys, here's the thing. I've been to the Grand Canyon. There's a lot of park ranger outposts around there. Someone would have picked them up. <laughs> and it's not really surrounded by flat, barren desert either. No, no. It's actually like no. very beautiful. And there's like lots of plants. It is absolutely gorgeous. It is. It is. It is literally breathtaking. Yeah, you can see it on movies or TV or whatever. But then you get there and you're just like, you, you, you just stand there. It's 
fucking awe-inspiring. It's unbelievable. Absolutely. Anyway, Jules, bring us back to the movie. What you got? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I was just going to mention that we have a caravan convoy ex machina. Yeah, just out of nowhere, the RV convoy led by Randy Quaid is just dragging his plane behind the fucking RV. They stop, and he's like, you know, need a ride, soldier? And he's like, yeah, I need you to take me to a military base nearby here. And Randy Quaid looks on the map, and he's like, nothing on my map. And he's like, trust me, it's there. How the fuck does just some random-ass captain in the Marine Corps just know where Area 51 is, like the most secretive location? Because he saw it when he was flying. Yeah. He claimed he saw it as opposed to doing everything he can to escape the alien ship that was trying to shoot him down. Yeah, while he was in a dogfight and running for his goddamn life. (laughs) Hey, there's a base. There's a base. Oh, hang on. Let me just quickly write that down. And it's already gone because I'm traveling several hundred miles an hour. (laughs) And it's gone. And it's gone. And so Air Force One gang, they land at Area 51, and they are greeted by Adam Baldwin. Yep, Jane Cobb. That's right. From, yeah, Firefly slash... uh, From Firefly and not being part of those Baldwins. Yeah, not being part of those Baldwins. He's he's a little little more sane. Not dropping any racist stuff like he did in Full Metal Jacket. (laughs) Oh my god, he played Animal Mother. Oh, yeah. So they enter the hangar and this is definitely not a backdrop. (laughs) This is not a a giant painting of Air Force One in the background. It's definitely a real play, guys. Don't worry. Don't worry. Apparently, the president doesn't have to follow decontamination protocols when entering a clean room. They'll just open it for him. They're not going to like. Right. Was anyone disappointed by the lack of there's no time? (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Of all the cliches that are missing in this movie. Oh no, there could be all kinds of horrible alien diseases that he could have caught just from that stupid moment. Right, right but they need to get the static and the dust off him so he doesn't contaminate any of like the the things that are going on in there. But he's like, no, you open it. And Adam Baldwin's like, all right, I guess I'll fucking open it. My body, my choice. (laughs) Not putting one of them masks and paper suits on. I will not get vaccinated against the alien virus. (laughs) I'm a wolf, not a sheep. One man wolf pack. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, he rightfully asked the secretary, hey, motherfucker, why did you not tell me about this place? And he's like, no, Mr. President, it's for plausible deniability. Fuck off. Because this is my goddamn career and you're going to have this job for six more months tops. No one likes you. You're not getting reelected. But the secretary of defense is like he could also be out of a job. Like it's not, whatever. We, the secretary of defense we also know is like used to be the CIA director. So that's probably how he knew about this place. And now we meet data from Star Trek. The next generation. Damn right. We get some Brent Spiner in this movie. Fuck yeah. Brent Spiner. Yeah, he plays like a long, gray hair, not shaven, uh, like the opposite. Like, just imagine the opposite of Data from Star Trek, and that is <laughs> yes. what he plays, and it's goddamn brilliant. Oh yeah, just wide-eyed and excited about everything. It's it's the the UFO conspiracy guy got a job working on alien stuff, right? <laughs> Oh my god. He is overjoyed because you know the spaceship showed up and you know all this little stuff we've been studying is is turning on and we got so much to work with it's so much fun and he's having the time of his life and Bill Pullman has to be a big meanie. 
Yeah, he's like, hey, a lot of people have died out there. Like, really brings the fucking mood down <laughs> when he shows them the alien <laughs> ship. It's just like... I live in a basement bunker in the desert. <laughs> I stopped caring about people in the outside world a long time ago, Bill Pullman. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> So the ship that crashed in the 50s is like an alien fighter ship. And apparently they can repair it, but they're not able to duplicate its power source. I have that apparently the aliens have not improved their technology or design since the ship that crashed in the 50s. <laughs> I mean, they probably have like new interiors. You know, they have a different upholstery on the fucking chairs. I don't know. Better sound system. <laughs> well, yeah, you got to get some zebra stripes or something going. Sweet waifu uh, floor mats. <laughs> Fuzzy dice come standard now, you know. But yeah, I, I have a point about that later. But yes, you're, you're picking up on a very interesting point. Um, also, apparently the aliens are very like us biologically. You know, they need air, need to live at a certain same, same temperature kind of thing. Even though they're wearing biomechanical suits, they're also killable. If it bleeds, we can kill it. This movie needed a booby trap setting montage. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> like a shirtless Bill Pullman covered in mud. Just fuck it. Yes. <laughs> I know what I'm abandoning children to later. <laughs> Carl Weathers enters. What are you going to do next? Cheese. <laughs> Carl Weathers enters and Brent Spiner's like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Arm wrestled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and during this tour they show like a bunch of like these aliens and vats some of them died of the impact of the roswell some of them died a couple weeks after so we just see some like what's inside the biomechanical suit are just floating in jars i am curious why did they have these giant sized specimen jars in the first place because it's not like they planned on having aliens i assumed after they found them they built them that's a pretty high turnaround for something that size they spoke with Dr. Freeze, and they they liked what he did with his wife's vat. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you called him Dr. Freeze since he is a doctor. <laughs> it's true. Why he discounts his own PhD. Go listen to Batman and Robin, folks. That's we, we, we talk about this more. Bill Pullman tells Jeff Goldblum to work with the scientists because he cracked their code, which is kind of embarrassing that nobody else figured it out. And uh, yeah, so Data is like, what code? And what code indeed? Yeah, he read the binary. <laughs> All right. Well, I need to like wrap my head around this really complicated vast alien conspiracy so we're gonna take a break and when we come back we will break down the epic conclusion of independence day hey there bloke working hard or hardly working am i right uh, you've made that joke every single time you've relieved me for docking bay duty it got old 12 parsecs ago Hey, man, we're flying through space. Been doing it for a while. You gotta have a little fun, right? Hey, uh, what's that on the scanner there? Hmm, looks like it's picking up one of our fighters. Traveling through deep space is weird. Looks like the model's 40 years old. In fact, we lost a scout ship around that time on this planet. Yeah, and it also appears to have some sort of tube and a silver dildo attached to it. We don't normally add dildos to our fighters, do we? Well, only for intending to do butt stuff. Whoa, that tube is giving off high radiation readings. Might be a nuclear missile of some sort? Hang on. You think those humans are trying something sneaky with one of our missing ships? 
Oh, yeah, definitely. Let's do some little readings here. Uh, yep, we got two humans inside, most likely male. Ah, rascally earthlings. I uh, can't blame the little guys for trying. Yeah, well, I'm just going to turn off their shields anyway. Activate a few defenses. And they're gone. Fried. Atomized. Oh, yeah, that got him good. Good job there, Blork. Get out of here. I got it from here. All right. I'll see you later. Oh, and hey, Zorp. Yeah? Are you working hard or hardly working? That, that's you. That's what you sound like. You're an asshole, Blork. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) And we're back. Will Smith rocks up to fucking Area 51 with the entire RV caravan. He's in a pickup truck up front with the alien. It's full on Mad Max Fury Road kind of a convoy, isn't it? Seriously, they are on their way to the fucking Thunderdome. The the security guard is like, hey, sir, sorry, this is a restricted area. You need like a pass. And he shows him the other. He's like, how about this? Or, or should I just leave this with you? Or should I just leave this with you? Like, okay, you you go in, and apparently the rest of your RV caravan can yeah, fucking come yeah. in. Everyone else you. gets to come in too. First of all, uh-huh. bullshit. So at the actual Area Fifty One, you will be stopped by Air Force security forces several miles before you can get to the front fucking gate. You are never getting. You cannot drive up to the fucking front yep. gate of Area Fifty One. Security forces will stop you. I smell a road trip. Hey, if we Naruto run. Are we going to meet Seth Rogen along the way? Because, you know, that'd be cool. Obviously. Giving advice to Spielberg about his movies. Perfect. (laughs) So Robert Loja rightfully tells the Secretary of Defense that he should have told them about this place. And they kind of figure that the aliens are destroying all the major cities. And at the rate they're going, they will all be destroyed within 36 hours. And Bill Pullman's like, we're being exterminated. Just in case you hadn't figured that out at home. (laughs) <laughs> My note here is the president is as helpful as ever. <laughs> There's the libertarianism. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> so Adam Baldwin comes in and his dress is way too casual. Like he comes in with his blazer open. Like he looks very disheveled. Brings in Will Smith. Bill Pullman's going to go down and check on the alien that they brought in. Uh, Will Smith asks Robert Loja if he can head back to El Toro, but there is no more El Toro. Weirdly foretelling, because there is no El Toro now. It's shut down. This movie predicted the future. Speaking of El Toro, though, uh, Vivica or Vivica A. Fox pulls up with her ragtag group to see that El Toro has, in fact, been destroyed. One of the guys says he was very thankful that today was the first day he took the subway in Los Angeles. (laughs) Accurate. (laughs) He's like, thank God for the Metro Rail. And we get a just a pointless back and forth between Vivica Fox and the First Lady. Finds out she's a stripper. He's like, oh, it's like, ah, helps me pay for my kids stuff. And uh, turns out uh, Vivica Fox voted for the other guy. So that's that's a thing. Pointless conversation. Yeah, gotta have some humor somewhere. I mean, you gotta, like, break up the action. Sorry, what's Data's name again? Data? No, the actor. Sometimes Lore? No, the actor's fucking name. Data's fine. Yeah, Data's okay, fine. Right. Just go with Data. So back at Area 51, Data and some other scientists are opening up the biomechanical suit in, like, a medical scenario. I have to give credit. This is actually a really good horror sequence with one of the best false scares that I've... <laughs> I've seen it was so good. 
Yeah, our over-budgeted, cheesy B-movie has a remarkably awesome horror sequence. <laughs> yeah, they... They open up the biomechanical suit with a scalpel and like it flaps open and it freaks everyone the fuck out. And they're kind of cut through the layers of tissue to reveal the the actual alien inside. The hand starts moving. The hand starts moving and they freak the fuck out. And it starts uh, like Data hears a thing in his head and that thing gets up, starts killing people. So Bill Pullman, Adam Baldwin, and the gang reach the observation room next to the the operating room, and Data gets slammed by the alien against the window. It's got its tentacles around his neck. Using his vocal cords to speak. Yes. Yeah. It's it's so creepy in the best possible way. He's like, release me. Yeah, and again, lovely touch, because when they were showing them in the uh, specimen jars, they noted that they do not have the ability to speak. Yeah. They don't have vocal cords of any sort of their own. Ah, uh, so good. Uh, so Bill Pullman tries to broach the idea of peace, but uh, no peace for you, human. So what do you what do you want us to do, alien? Die! Yeah, my note here is alien doesn't un- understand deception, reveals entire plan. Which basically means that they're going to face a lot of casualties because the humans will be like, fuck it, I'm going to die. So I might as well take as many aliens. With yeah, me. he beams their entire plan into Bill Pullman's head. Like he, he just sees what they're going to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's show of force because clearly, what are you going to do to stop us? We outclass you in every conceivable way. Yeah, I guess I guess it's just the old, you know, the greatest threat is always from someone who even can manipulate you psychologically, and these guys clearly can't. Well, the more compelling threat or villain is, yeah. <laughs> but again, this is an over-budgeted B-movie. No, this is a correctly budgeted B-movie. <laughs> this is a just the right amount of budget. As a matter of fact, they could have thrown them a couple mil more. Well, I mean, yeah, if they want to spend, you know, 20000 on a hammer. <laughs> accurate government spending is accurate. <laughs> So Robert Lozier is like, Major, is that glass bulletproof? No, sir. They all pull out their pistols. Pew, 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 shoot them. <laughs> pew, pew, pew. <laughs> yes, Beretta M9s go pew, pew. It's science. Look it up. Basically, the vision that the alien put the heads, the plans are going to suck up all the resources and then move on to the next planet. So the president decides to do something. Yeah, well, he's like, let's nuke the bastards. <laughs> he's like, all right, now we're going to nuke them. Uh, this is before Adam Baldwin just like walks up to the alien, puts a bullet in its head. Actually, no. What he does is he uh, shoots a cap gun and the alien wobbles. <laughs> Yeah, you don't see any penetrating wounds, it's true. I hate the lack of penetration in my alien film. (laughs) I want to see some probing. Get Randy Quaid in here. (laughs) That's what alien sex is about, okay. What do you think those tendrils are for? They're not just for tickling your vocal cords. But apparently there are actually like creatures out there that impregnate each other by literally shooting darts at each other and like impregnating the other creature oh, through snails. like traumatic wounds. Yeah, yeah, I think it's snails. Yeah. Think about that next time you're having escargot. All right. Thanks for my next three sleepless nights. Appreciate it. <laughs> mm, sleepless for all the right reasons. Yeah, I'm sorry if I gave the idea that I'm sleepless out of terror. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> sleepless out of pure fucking arousal.
Um, so I love how the Area 51 break room has booze. <laughs> it is just a help yourself fucking bar on top of the fridge of various liquors <laughs> that Jeff Goldblum has just availed himself of. Well, where are they going to go to get a drink? <laughs> Come on, let's be practical about this. What we discover about Area 51 is that they have everything for every eventuality. Yeah, it's a base. Yeah, it's a base. It's it's a full bar. But it doesn't have ice. It doesn't have ice. That is true. Uh, so Jeff Goldblum is getting drunk because of the nukes. He just thinks like, oh, fuck, we're going to kill the planet. Connie comes in and, you know, they're talking about their relationship and stuff. We learned that Connie left him to work for Bill Pullman because she wanted to do something special with her life. And she kind of thought that Jeff Goldblum was wasting his potential. You know, he could have done anything. He could have done research. He could have done development. But no, he went to go work for a cable company. And he's like, well, yeah, I thought I was already involved in something special. This is where you get Jeff Goldblum is fucking amazing. Anyone else, when she's like, you know, didn't you want to be part of something special? That comeback of I was part of something special would normally be like a, a, a snap. You know, I was part of something special. And he just he just takes that beat and then just delivers it so softly. And that's what really makes it hit you. It's ah, oh, fuck. Yeah, Jeff Goldblum. Fuck. Yeah, Jeff Goldblum will be a T-shirt that we sell. <laughs> I have a friend that took a photo of him from the fly, like where he's like really like close up of your face. And he wrote, Jeff Goldblum is watching you poop. And he taped it on the inside of the bathroom stall door. <laughs> <laughs> and so in the dorm, you just hear like, who keeps putting this shit up? <laughs> Oh, you know what? I'm going to do that just for fun. I'm going to put up a Jeff Goldberg from the fly in my bathroom. Oh, absolutely. Just... <laughs> uh, so back in the movie, uh, Connie says, like, look, she never stopped loving him, but apparently that wasn't enough to stop her from leaving. Cut to Will Smith moping on the tarmac at Area 51. Uh, he sees a helicopter and gets an idea. Um, and apparently flying fixed wing jets and flying rotary wing helicopters. These are transferable skills. Like if you can fly one, you can fly the other. Like it's just, you know, science. Completely the same. Worst God in movie history, too. Yeah, because Will Smith gets in the helicopter to take it, and one of the security forces guys pulls a gun up and is like, hey, I can't let you take that, sir. You really going to shoot me? You really want to shoot me? He's like, uh, I don't really want to shoot you. Get the fuck out of the helicopter, <laughs> dude. We need that. Yeah, get the fuck out of the helicopter. Hey, man, there's an alien invasion on. We need all the equipment we can get. Where the, where the fuck are you going? But Will Smith flies off in the helicopter. Oh, wait, wait, wait. What actually happened is Will Smith attempts to steal a military he helicopter. He gets shot. That's where his subplot ended, and they had no one to pilot the alien spacecraft, and it was a complete disaster. Oh, I had him getting tackled and court-martialed, but okay, your ending works too. <laughs> Either or, pick your favorite. So now we see some B-2 stealth bombers flying with some nukes in the night, and this is a sexy aircraft. I, Absolutely I have right. abandoned yeah. many children to, to the B-2 <laughs> stealth bomber. They're going to fly Tomahawk nukes into the uh, the alien spacecraft. Houston's going to get nuked first. And then they have like a striker observation vehicle on the ground. Like, is this standard practice? This like, this seems like an unnecessary striker. Yeah, my question is, why doesn't the B-2 drop it from above so that all the nuke damage will hit the spacecraft instead of the city? It, it's its side on. So half that explosion is going to destroy the city. That's a lovely point. 
I was way too distracted by the fact that the periscope has a video display. <laughs> <laughs> and also, apparently, like after the nuclear explosion, the, the, the striker needs a firmware reboot. At least they didn't have to explain EMPs, but <laughs> it knocks out the equipment and there's, you know, they're getting no feedback of any sort. And everyone's just like, oh, yeah, we got them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, we got the premature celebration cliche. Because the EMP has absolutely no effect on any of the electronics in the uh, spacecraft, we know that no human technology, certainly not something as small as fishing or a virus, will have any effect on it either, right? Well, it's more of the fact that the shield held up. The shield stops EMP, okay. <laughs> the power of Apple technology is able to infiltrate only once within the confines of the ship. It's sort of like vampires. You have to invite Steve Jobs in. <laughs> Uh, amazing oh so good thank you i think i'm done yeah that's uh that's a wrap on john john's gonna leave the rest of the episode to jules and i plus the stealth bomb is far too close so it clearly got hit by the explosion too yeah seriously they took themselves out yeah like you can shoot these tomahawk missiles from miles away like this is for movie reasons so, yeah, despite what just happened, Secretary of Defense think they should try the nukes on the other alien ships, you know, just in case. Bill Pullman aborts the other B-2 bombers. Back at El Toro, the survivors see a light flying in from the sky, and it's Will Smith in a helicopter. Yay! Although he leaves the helicopter on when he gets out. He just lets, leaves it running. <laughs> its battery was kind of low, and, you know, if he turned it off, there wasn't really something around for them to jumpstart it again. You know how it is. Yeah, you gotta keep the alternator charging it. And yeah, it's a whole thing. Yeah, helicopter AAA is like, they take a while. <laughs> And so yeah, Vivica A. Fox is like, you're late. And bitch, you're lucky he came. And you're lucky that you both went to the same place. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. So now we're in an Area 51 hospital um, where a doctor informs Bill Pullman that his wife has internal bleeding and they can't stop it. You know, the maybe if we'd gotten to her earlier cliche. Mm -hmm. I do like that she dies, though, in the sense of just there's still stakes you know not everyone's getting out of this clean right it's true so yeah bill pullman sends may went in to wait in the hall uh bill pullman's wife apologizes for dying slash not listening to him and then bill pullman jokes that the doctors say that she's gonna be just fine i mean i i don't know i i hope i never have to watch someone die but i i, I don't know what the appropriate reaction to it is cracking jokes is probably on the list well that's kind of what she does she cheerfully Tells him that he's full of shit. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, if I had a nickel for every time somebody cheerfully told me I was full of shit, I would have a lot of Jules's nickels. <laughs> so goes out in the hallway. He's very distraught, obviously. Wifey died. Uh, sits down next to Mae Whitman. He's like, is mommy sleeping now? And... She's actually a pretty good actress when they actually give her like really emotional moments. She like because basically she, they gave her like generic kid stuff and like she actually kind of shines in this moment. So good job, Mate Whitman. Yeah. One of the least annoying kids we've covered. That's very true. For the most part, kind of unremarkable. Yeah, she's really nice in this moment, but definitely not irritating. Yeah, good job, Mae Whitman. But also, like, do what's crazy. So you notice how they're in the hallways. There's clearly a subterranean hospital, and all the windows are blued out. Those are blue screens. Like, they were originally going to chroma key something in there. Then they actually kind of liked how it looked with just the blue. And so they were like, let's just leave it. Oh, 
Cool. And now it's July 4, motherfuckers. <laughs> it's on. It's on. Uh, Judd Hirsch finds Jeff Goldblum getting drunk in the hangar where the Roswell ship is. Apparently internal security in this highly secretive facility is really fucking lax because some drunken civilian can just get next to an alien spacecraft. Presidential order that Goldblum gets to work on everything. So Judd Hirsch finds Jeff Goldblum getting drunk in the hangar where the Roswell ship is. And uh, for a secure facility, uh, they just let people wander around. They just let a guy get drunk in front of a priceless, rare alien spacecraft. Yeah, well, I mean, Jeff Goldblum was given presidential clearance. I'm not sure why Judd Hirsch is there, though. We have established that the helicopter guards are terrible their job. So this actually does track. Once you're in Area 51, you just get the run of the place. Look, I mean, Judd Hirsch is playing a very stereotypical Jewish parody. Obviously, just like guilt-tripped a bunch of guards into letting him in. I actually do love Jeff Goldblum's reaction here. He just decides to make a fucking mess to destroy the planet so maybe the aliens won't want it anymore. Definitely bottle two of a drunken fuck everything. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So Jed Hirsch calms down. Jeff Goldblum tells him that, hey, man, everyone loses faith. We haven't talked about faith up until this point, but, you know, everyone loses it. (laughs) You know, I haven't talked to God since your mom died and uh, also tells him that he still has his health to a drunk guy who's like got his liver's swelling right now. I don't know why, but this appealed to me just as someone who's worked with gratitude exercises, you know, because I have my own mental health issues. And just, it sort of highlights that sometimes, you know, when you're in the bottom dregs of <laughs> mental health issues, how pointless the gratitude exercises feel. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> the world is literally coming to an end, but you've got your health, you know. <laughs> Yeah, your corporeal form might be, like, incinerated, but hey, at least you'll be healthy up until the incineration. (laughs) Just remember, everything happens for a reason, and God just needed some extra angels. Uh, but no i do stand by gratitude exercises in general though definitely stick with those yeah and they, they can be good but i feel like there's a certain level yeah. of like <laughs> depression where they are not helpful yeah very much like, so. you have to be like a, at a certain level i don't know anyways this isn't the mental health podcast this is millennial rewind where we <laughs> make fun of movies so jet Hirsch tells you know jeff Bull, like hey get off the cold floor you know it's you're gonna catch a cold and this gives Jeff Goldblum an idea like a cold. Oh my God, a cold. I'll tells this like random lab assistant who's just sleeping on a desk next to the ship. Like, Hey, go wake up everybody. And and this guy has a very natural reaction. He's just like, what? (laughs) And why does he think his dad's plan is genius when he hasn't even tested it yet? Because he knows it'll work. He's a movie genius. (laughs) I think it's a bingo stamp that common person has to make an offhand comment that gives the genius the idea, you know, gives them oh, the absolutely, light bulb yeah. <laughs> I feel like Jeff Goldblum and Bill Pullman both have equal claim to the protagonist of the film, even more so than Will Smith. So this just might be protagonist privilege coming in here. <laughs> so guys, riddle me this. Why the fuck does Will Smith get to bring Vivica of Fox and her kid into a fucking classified alien spaceship area? Am I taking goddamn crazy pills because I feel like I'm taking goddamn crazy pills. He already brought a fleet of RVs. It's Will Smith power. <laughs> Will Smith powers activate, activate. 
basically, uh, yeah, Jeff Goldblum's going to do a demonstration. He's not going to tell people he's going to show them because he's a good writer. And he's going to put the <laughs> Coke can on the ship. Apparently, you could put a Coke can on the ship, but you can't, like, shoot stuff at it. Tells Adam Baldwin to shoot at the can. Obviously, the shields activate. Ricochet is everywhere. Uh, somebody got hit, and there was a whole medical situation then he does some computery stuff and he tells adam baldwin to do it again shoots the can off and he's like yeah i uploaded a virus to bring down the ship i'm sorry you using earth computation like computational science in under an hour programmed a fucking virus that can take down an advanced alien civilization Fuck you. Yes, thank you for hitting what is my hang-up on this situation as well. A lot of times it's the how are like their operating systems compatible. And there is a missing deleted scene. It's not in the movie, so it doesn't really count where he does have that issue and is able to overcome it. But yeah, it's the fact that in less than a goddamn hour... <laughs> he's able to disable their shield system. What the fuck? I also love that he has Adam Baldwin shoot at the can knowing full well that the shield is up and you have the bullet ricochet sound going all over the place. Yes. And then he's like, oops, sorry, shoot it again. And no one takes cover. <laughs> excellent point. And no one raises an objection to shoot it again. Another excellent point. Good. <laughs> So basically, the plan is they're going to fly the alien fighter ship into the mothership, upload the virus, and then blow it up from the inside. Uh, apparently, this like super interconnected alien ship system, you can't just like send the virus through the ship. You have to actually like fly into the mothership. Well, because it's the one that transmits to all the others. Supposedly, this will like bring the shields down just enough time for the military to launch a counterattack. And the Secretary of Defense and I have both had the same reaction when he yells, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah. In addition to the fact that we know the mothership can't communicate to all its ships because it needs satellites to relay signals. But it's not, it's, it's the one that's sending out the signal, though. I also love that the shields will be down for, oh, I don't know, a matter of minutes. Yeah. That's a very important thing that was mentioned that will not be relevant. <laughs> no, 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 no. We will we will get into it. Uh, so yeah, so like the Secretary of the Defense guy continues to make good points. He's like, hey, uh, so we have to coordinate a worldwide counterattack with a window of only a few minutes. And on top of it all, there's nobody fucking qualified to fly this alien spaceship. And this guy is supposedly the bad guy in like this entire entourage. I am so glad I'm not the only one who felt this way. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. But Will Smith has the power of Will Smith. And so he is qualified because he's watched them. Yes. Yes, that is the point he makes. He is aware of their maneuver capabilities and he can now fly them. Because he saw them in combat. Yeah. Fuck <laughs> you, movie. <laughs> like, you're a great movie, but I'm going to have to say fuck you on this one. They don't even know if it's capable of flying, right? So... Jeff Goldblum's like, hey, can you can you let go of the clamps? They just let go of the clamps and it hovers. Any questions? And yes, Joel, Jeff Goldblum, I have a question. <laughs> How the fuck did you know that it was going to do that? I have a ream of questions. <laughs> Thank you Especially very much. after the virus. That thing should have fallen with a clunk. No, no, no. The, the virus is just for the shields. 
Ah, uh, I see. The old shield fighting virus. Yes. Jeff Goldblum turns to Will Smith and is like, hey, do you think you can uh, you can really fly that thing? And he turns back and equips. You think you can do all that bullshit you just said? Nice. Nice touch. I mean, the answer is obviously no to both of these. <laughs> so outside, Bill Pullman doesn't like all the sense that the Secretary of Defense is making, so he fires him. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's it's important that we get the honk, he can't do that cliche. Oh, yeah, he can't do that. It's like she and uh, Connie's like, yeah, he just did. And we notice that Connie is starting to dress a lot like Jeff Goldblum at this point. She's wearing like the flannel shirt over a T-shirt and 90s pants. It's been a long couple of days. She'd been wearing the same clothes. They're probably getting a little musty, you know. I mean, it's it's the 90s. That's all that was really available at the time. Like, okay. So apparently uh, we have some British, Iraqi, and Israeli pilots just chilling together in the Iraqi desert. That's just a place where they all like to hang out. Nothing brings people together like a good invasion, right? Yeah, and they're all apparently in just Iraq. Like, what the fuck is the RAF doing in Iraq in the midnight? Whatever. Question is, what aren't they doing? (laughs) I don't even know what that's supposed to imply. So, yeah, apparently, as we mentioned earlier, they've just been waiting for the fucking Americans to get to them using, let me just check my notes here real quick, uh, Morse code. Like, that is the method by which they are communicating with everyone. Just Yeah, because you see, if we send it through the satellites, the alien would find our message and they'd know what we're up to. Also, radio's not a thing anymore somehow. Nope, not a thing anymore. They clearly give them the wrong orders because they tell them to wait until we finished and then you can do shit. Because remember, there's only a matter of minutes. Also, is there a new Morse code? None that I'm aware of. Because they're like, we're receiving a message. Old Morse code. It's like, wait, there's different Morse codes? There's updates? (laughs) See, there was new Morse code, but nobody liked the taste of it, so they went back to Morse code classic. And now we just, we we forget the classic part and just call it Morse code now. Okay, gotcha. Exactly. I just like that they had the old Morse code machines at Area 51. That shit's got everything, I swear. Yeah, but they also have it in the middle of the fucking Iraqi desert. Also, (laughs) the Russians, who we all know the Russians, can't wait to get orders from the American military. They love it when the American military tells them what to do. They're just waiting with bated breath by their fucking Morse code machine. Japan as well is like, let's let's listen to them. They nuked us twice. We love the Americans. Their military bases here are full of really well-behaved troops who don't terrorize our local population. Can't fucking wait for them to Morse code us some shit. On the side of things this movie does well, as we jump to different points around the globe, it is not the same time of day everywhere. True. That's nice. It's a nice touch. Yeah, so they're also apparently short on pilots. they got plenty of planes, but they're short on pilots. And the solution to their pilot shortage is going out to the RV caravan and be like, hey, yo, anybody got flying experience? Doesn't even have to be jets. We'll, we'll, we'll tell you which buttons to push. It's the, uh, it's the flight attendant in airplane getting on the, the PA to the passenger. Does anybody know how to fly a plane? <laughs> <laughs> Hold that thought because we do get an airplane moment later inflatable automated pilot (laughs) oh that'd be good but what i have a note for this scene is that for some reason they have skepticism about randy quaid's alien abduction after an alien invasion yes at any other moment adam baldwin's reaction would make sense because randy quaid goes on about how he was abducted yet again and he's given this look like you fucking loony (laughs) 
<laughs> but this is after like Adam Baldwin gets a huddle going, and he's like, "Hey, um, so you're you're all fl- you're all flight experience. Let's uh let's let's get it get it out there. Uh, you, Randy Quaid, what's what's your flight experience? And instead of being like, "Yeah, I was a combat pilot in the Air Force in Vietnam," he's like, "Yeah, after I got out of Nam, I flew a crop duster, and that's basically what I've been doing ever since." And that's like, my dude, not relevant. Maybe talk about how you flew an F4 Phantom in Vietnam. He's just itching for that payback, though. He is itching for that payback. He gets up and he gives that rambling. And here's the thing. Based off of how he talks, I get why Adam Baldwin doesn't trust him. Oh, okay. So he's not giving him that look because of the alien abduction story, but it's more of just like, fuck, this is who we have to put our trust in. (laughs) Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, he does a lot of inane rambling. Busey Leary factor, yes. Yes, absolutely Busey Leary factor. Randy Quaid just was was just talking and they filmed it. Back in the hangar with the alien spacecraft, Robert Loja explains to Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum that they're attaching a nuclear missile pod to the alien ship and that they'll have 30 seconds to get out of there once it's fired. You can program more time, my dude. You're doing it for movie reasons. So yeah, the lab assistant from earlier uh, shows Jeff Goldblum a a metal dildo, I want to say, <laughs> that they've attached to the bottom of the ship, like a really shiny metal dildo um, that is the strongest transmitter they could get to put on this fucking ship. That's what they're going to upload the virus with. Connie's very worried about the, the timer on the nuclear missile that they're going to shoot. And, you know, it's like, look, we'll be well on our way home when we shoot the, that thing off. Okay, pinning that. Connie doesn't want him to go, but there's no one else who can do it. Cliche, but it's it works. <laughs> Cut to Vivica A. Fox getting ready to marry Will Smith. Will Smith bursts in barely dressed. He's like, ah, T-shirt and his, you know, service jacket. Tells he should have done this a long time ago. Connie and Jeff Goldblum come into witness. I like that instead of saying I do, he says I will. I like me, Jules. You, Nick. <laughs> you, John. I am Will. Will, I am. Will, I am. <laughs> <laughs> now it's showtime, motherfuckers. Uh, Bill Pullman, as they're getting the jets ready, gives the greatest goddamn speech in movie history. Best speech ever. Uh, I believe you are forgetting Luke Hang's epic. Okay, guys, Um, we should go and do this now. <laughs> i mean seriously you can't top it I, I i said it then i stand by it now well you are objectively wrong because this is way the fuck better that's true it's a good point luke hang did not receive salute guy so salute guy oh he's my everything i saluted with him it's you know we will not go gently to that good right we will not vanish without a fight today we cancel the apocalypse oh, sorry wrong, yeah. wrong <laughs> So after the speech, Adam Baldwin takes uh, Bill Pullman off to the side because uh, he's got a flight suit and a helmet waiting for him. Robert Loja's like, uh, Mr. President, what the fuck are you doing? I'm a combat pilot, Robert Loja. I belong in the air. And uh, no, because everyone who could possibly succeed you is dead. That secure location with the vice president and the Joint Chiefs of Staff got fucking blown up by the aliens. So your ass belongs on the ground. That is where you belong, Mr. President. At this point, I am thoroughly convinced that if Bill Pullman dies, Boomer is in charge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, at this point, I just sort of disassociate with reality. I think, yeah, we're doing this. President's going to be leading planes into battle. Fuck it. After the speech, this was just too perfect. <laughs> you know? it, it is great. <laughs> Goddamn right. Get in there, Mr. President. So uh, we're back at the alien ship inside Area 51. Uh, Will Smith says goodbye to Vivica Fox and her kid. 
Jeff Goldblum says goodbye to Judd Hirsch, who gives him one of the airsick bags from Air Force One. And then Jeff Goldblum gives Judd Hirsch a yarmulke and a Torah from the National Strategic <laughs> Stockpile of Jewish Religious Artifacts. The fuck did this come from? Yep. I actually have a bigger hang up about the airsick bag. What do you mean? Well, after learning his son was going into space, he either went back to Air Force One to retrieve it. Or has been keeping it this whole time. He does like to pick up souvenirs. You know, in the Oval Office, he says, see if you can find those pens that they give away. Oh, yeah. There you go. The writing in this movie is really tight. It's really <laughs> fucking tight, man. So it's time to go, but Will Smith's like, hey, we can't go without cigars because superstition, like, you gotta, like, have the cigars. Wait, 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 wait. Hold up. How is this a hex? The last time you brought cigars, everyone was killed, including your best friend. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, but he lived. Everyone died, even the vice president and the joint chiefs. <laughs> if anything, the cigars are the hex. Will Smith will survive no matter how many people have to die from the hex. <laughs> Luckily for Will Smith, Judd Hirsch happens to have his last two cigars in his pocket. And I feel like Jeff Goldblum should not have HAL 9000 be his fucking, like, AI assistant on his fucking laptop. I cannot let you do that, Dave. Oh, I love that touch, though, that he would have how I I know someone who changed the voice on their phone to be Gladys from Portal. Uh, amazing. And I'm like, why the fuck would you give that bitch access to your system? <laughs> <laughs> So Randy Quaid is in the cockpit of his F-18 getting ready to fly and uh, almost fires a missile on the ground, which I feel like would be way harder to do. I, uh, and it's like firing missile, which is not how missiles work. It's like <laughs> it's way faster than this. And he uh, he picked a hell of a day to quit sniffing glue. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and amphetamines. <laughs> and he salutes his kids, and his kids are allowed within the fucking tarmac as they salute back at him. They're allowed to, like, salute their dad off. Once you are within Area 51, you, you, you can go anywhere. Yeah, there's no restrictions. Also, let's not forget that, you know, for Espanol, dos, but to cancel missile, press one. <laughs> <laughs> press the pound sign. <laughs> yes, followed by the pound sign. <laughs> so Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum, uh, well, they first try to fly the ship out there, but the controls are not intuitive because uh, apparently watching a fucking alien spacecraft fly does not qualify you to fly a goddamn <laughs> alien spacecraft. So he, like, backs it up into a wall. I love how there's a little cheat sheet that says, forward but someone wrote cheat sheets and put them like all over the cockpit because it's not just the controls you can see little pieces of paper that are labeling what shit does so who got in and kind of floated this around the the little like hanger holding cell that this thing's in that guy should be flying basically slash fired for getting it wrong <laughs> so yeah fucking will smith loves his oh man i gotta get me one of these Jeff Goldblum's freaky the fuck out. He's like, oh God, oh God, why'd I do this? And uh, hey, guys, Will Smith, you know, he made it to space. Didn't need NASA after all. He's, he's there. Mm -hmm. And the mothership hoes into view, and helpfully, Jeff Goldblum tells him to head straight for it. Yeah, where the fuck else is he gonna go? <laughs> I don't know. Take the scenic route? 
<laughs> well, yeah, it gets like tractor beamed and whatever. That's when the the alien ship noticed that this is one of the fighters that it's been missing for several decades. Also notices the dildo transmitter and the missile pod. So yeah, it notices that it's picked up some accents along the way. <laughs> and immediately shoots it. Yeah, they just shot it, and then the whole plan failed, and Earth was taken over. I forgot that ending. No, that's not what happened. They get pulled inside, and uh, this is a very oddly designed mothership. Like, there's just way too many, like, cross beams for things to crash into. And then just also a great amount of empty space. Just a lot of empty space. Yeah, when you, like, have a spaceship, you are putting shit in every square inch also, they see an alien invasion force being prepared, and I don't know about you guys, but uh, usually when the air force is doing their thing, you land the invasion force as well. Like you don't wait for it, you know. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> I have more of a problem that Goldblum somehow doesn't understand what they're all for. They're preparing to fucking invade, man. What's, what's anyone who's not military has no idea what's going on. I think that's the, that's the bottom line. Yes, the force that came and bombed our cities is not going to have any sort of follow-up whatsoever. No. Nope. Got it. Cool. So the ship they're in gets, like, clamped in place. I guess they have, like, a hanging dock situation. There's, like, a docking bay coordinator who looks at the ship, and they're like, oh, fuck, he's going to see us. And apparently Jeff Goldblum knows that there's blinds that can go in front of the, the windscreens to block them. He just knows. And Will Smith doesn't know about that. Which means that it's not labeled with a handy cheat sheet. Yeah. And why the hell would this ship have blinds? I don't know, man. <laughs> reasons. Because <laughs> reasons. <laughs> It's there for convenient plot reasons. Um, also, Connie at some point points out to Adam Baldwin, hey, you know, this alien ship's coming. Uh, maybe we bring everyone outside inside. Maybe we do that. And Adam Baldwin's like, they live in RVs. You, seriously? We only have so much booze in the break room, Connie. Come on. Yeah. Randy Quaid's going to come back and just drink it all in one day. So now it's fighter time, baby. The virus has been uploaded. By the way, but despite a massive pilot shortage, they are able to field as many planes as the opening uh, opening fighter sequence somehow. Great deal of overlap between pilots and RVers. It's nearly a one-to-one -one ratio. <laughs> Just the kids that got left behind. <laughs> All right. The president shoots his missile. Eagle one. Fox three. Pew. And the shield's still up. Oh, fuck. Everyone fall back. No, 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 no. I'm going to fire one more. Pew. It's a good thing he try fires twice because the second one actually lands. So then it's like open fire. I actually like this bit. People in movies never try shit twice. I don't understand why people only try things once in movies. <laughs> you're telling me you're not familiar with the old saying, if at first you don't succeed, eh, fuck it. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> not only am I familiar with that saying, John, I live it. They say nothing is impossible, but I do nothing every day. <laughs> <laughs> So the alien fighters come out to play and Randy Quaid is super stoked to be killing aliens. He's, you know, happy to get some payback. Also, apparently, despite the fact that there are fighter planes in the air, some alien fighters decide they need to go shoot up Area 51. We ain't got time for that invasion force that's still in the fucking mothership way out in orbit somewhere. Yeah, like they might be useful in this situation, dealing with these ground elements. But what the fuck ever. Yeah, so start blowing up equipment on the ground. 
people are running in and Connie and Adam Baldwin just managed to get into the elevator in time before fire blows up the entrance area. And all they had to do was find a door off to the side. Seriously. Yeah, they did. That's all they had to do. Fire does not go around corners, as we know. (laughs) Also, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, you're not supposed to take elevators in emergency situations like that's just like when there's a fire you're not supposed to take the elevator seriously didn't they see resident evil <laughs> i would love in the middle of this movie the red queen pops up it's like you're all going to die down here <laughs> when, when goldblum pushes the thing and the little uh skull thing pops up you just hear I've been a naughty girl. <laughs> gross. That line was gross. Um. So yeah, so everyone gets into the basement from above and Judd Hirsch has gone full Jew. He's got the Omicron. He's got the Torah out and he's getting a little prayer circle going and he's saying Yiddish prayers. The Secretary of Defense gets into Judd Hirsch's prayer circle and he's like, hey, I'm not Jewish. And he's like, eh, nobody's perfect. <laughs> and I do love the touch here because if it was like a Christian prayer circle, it would be like, Oh, it's okay. We welcome everybody or, you know, you're everyone's welcome <laughs> That's here. So that sort of thing. And they're just like, cool. I mean, you can sit here. I don't, I don't really give a shit. <laughs> so in space, Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith are stuck in their little like graspy thing that's holding onto their spaceship. The docking bay supervisor aliens getting a little suspicious of this ship that's trying to fly away, even though it's clamped. So he remotely opens the window and they got to dive and hide. So back on Earth, the human fighters are running out of missiles. They haven't done enough damage to the flying saucer approaching Area 51. The saucer is actually over Area 51 now, and it's opening the bottom to uh, fire its primary weapon. But Bill Pullman has one more missile, and he fires at the weapon, but it hits one of the doors. Does anybody have any missiles left? And that's where Randy Quaid goes, Sorry I'm late, Mr. President. Late for what? You've been up there the whole time with them. Again, Randy Quaid was not given lines. That's what he said, and they had to go with it. (laughs) Uh, So Randy Quaid gets tone, but the missile won't launch. It's jammed. And remarkably, Siri does not tell him that the missile is jammed. (laughs) She told him when it was going to fire while he was on the ground. (laughs) Maybe she gets airsick, too. She's not able to communicate while the jet's flying. (laughs) Hey, Siri, unlock my missile. Did you say play songs by the Beatles? (laughs) God damn it, Siri. Okay, adding Gatorade to shopping list. (laughs) So, yeah, he's got the the picture of his kids in the fighter pilot cliche. And we get the tell my kids I love them. And how did his son get into the control room? I swear, the worst security in the world. Yeah, his kid gets into this classified fighter command post. There is no level of security beyond the gate. (laughs) And then that's really shitty, as we've established. (laughs) So, yeah, Randy Quaid flies into the primary weapon, and as he gets covered in Listerine, he yells, Hello, boys, I'm back! Boom! And they do the sensible thing and detonate him. <laughs> At which point, you know, it was it was such a heartbreaking ending because the ship exploded and crashed into Area 51 and killed them all. And the planes had nowhere to land, so everyone ended up dying. Heartbreaking. Yeah, they were trapped underground forever, and they ran out of supplies, and it turned into a Lord of the Flies situation down there, <laughs> and it was a whole thing. It's not that his missile detonated, it's that they fired the weapon and blew up the plane, which caused the missile to detonate. We have seen this blast rip through a skyscraper. 
but it touches Randy Quaid's jet and stops <laughs> and gets deflected back up in there. Power of the Quaid, man. His son is not torn up by his death at all. Like Adam Baldwin is like, you should be proud. Your dad did a brave thing. You should be really proud. And he's like, yeah, I'm pretty proud. Yeah, I am pretty yeah. proud. But anyway, Robert Loggia tells him to uh, tell everyone else how to bring those sons of bitches down. So what you need to do is wait until they find a target and are about to obliterate it and then sacrifice somebody. Yeah, you need to go on a kamikaze mission. Well, they spread the word through Morse code, and I like to believe that this is now diet Morse code (laughs) (laughs) that they're sending out. And my daughter's, wait, wasn't this supposed to be a coordinated attack? Like, I think we touched on this earlier. With a window of only a few minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, now we're back in the alien spaceship. There are three alien fighters surrounding Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith's fighters. Right, but how are they supposed to inspect? I mean, sure, the window's open, but... John, we we, we have discussed that this is a poorly designed mothership. (laughs) It's not a good design. It's time for the final cigar. Yep, it's checkmate. And so the fat lady's sung, so they're going to light up their cigars. Uh, They're not going to cut the ends off, so I don't know how the fuck they're smoking them, but they smoke them. (laughs) The only thing they got left to do is launch the missile. They sarcastically wave at the dock supervisor. I love that. It is really funny. This is fantastic. (laughs) It's dumb as hell, and I love it. Eh, look at the earthlings. Lots of love for you. Lots of love for you. Hey, hey, you uh, you think they got any idea of what's coming? <laughs> Not a chance in hell. Peace! And the nuke fires. <laughs> Snarky Jeff Goldblum is best Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> so they shoot the missile. Somehow they get their alien spaceship loose. And then Will Smith is like, I didn't hear no fat lady. Enough with the fat lady. You're obsessed with the fat lady. <laughs> Alien fighter chase ensues. So basically, yeah, he's flying and he's like yelling at Will Smith and Will Smith, he's like, stop side seat driving. Exactly. And then a space Tyrannosaurus uh, manifests because Jeff Goldblum starts saying, must go faster, must go faster, must go faster. He's got a little mirror that tells him that it's actually closer than it really is. Closer than it is. (laughs) So yeah, they got this like door closing on them and they get out just in the nick of time and then boom the death star sorry i mean the mothership explodes <laughs> the fire catches up to them so there's that whole moment did they make it well it's a fucking blockbuster movie of course they made it of course they made it and then on the ground bill pullman you know all the americans back at area 51 and all the uncivilized brown people of the world celebrate <laughs> in the most stereotypically primitive way possible Oh, no. Yeah, there's like fucking bush people in front of Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, they have cities in Kenya movies, so fuck you. Oh, my note here also is get away from the fucking alien spacecraft. There are still military personnel <laughs> on there who probably have advanced technology guns. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, go sweep the area first. Also, yeah, um, we see the pyramids of Giza, which apparently survived the attack. Uh, so ever all the underground RV people are very happy. Um, Bill Pullman asks Robert Loja about Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum, but they have lost communication with them. But wait, they got something on radar. So everyone drives out in the middle of the desert. My note here is only cool guys walk away from crashed alien ships and don't look back. <laughs> with cigars. Classic. 
God, Jeff Goldblum sashaying across the sand is my fucking everything. (laughs) To tick off the checklist, we have the cigars, we have the fireworks, we have the drinking. Where's the barbecue in this movie? Uh, All the aliens who got blown up inside. The real barbecue was in the ship the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Bill Pullman and Jeff Goldblum shake hands and make up. Judd Hirsch gives him some shit because Goldblum obviously was always on his ass about smoking earlier. (laughs) Yes, and he's like, ah, you know, tried something different. Will Smith has got the Vivica Fox's kid and he's like, yeah, didn't I promise you fireworks? And that is the end of the movie. A really funny bit, if you watch towards the end of the credits, you get the Humane Society that has monitored the animals on set. They say that no animals or aliens were harmed in the making of this movie. (laughs) That's Independence Day. But before we go, of course, as millennials, we know that every movie and TV show has a moral for us. So Jules, what did you learn today? Then we need to nuke illegal aliens before they get us. (laughs) Uh, and John, what did you learn? I learned about snail darts. <laughs> That's right. Snail reproduction. I, John learns a lot of lessons that I teach about these podcasts. I'm glad to be that guy for you, John. I don't tend to take my lessons from the movie itself, per se. <laughs> As you shouldn't. Uh, because what I learned is that unless you uh, live in America or Britain, uh, you're probably just some primitive brown person. That's just you know, gross. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. And before we go, we, of course, need to tell you what we're doing next time. So, John, what do the folks at home have to look forward to? More overbloated budget B-movie extravaganza from Roland Emmerich. 1998's Godzilla. Yes. This is going to be so fucking bad, and I am here for it. John, do you have any monster reviews to get us excited for that? What was wrong with this movie? Absolutely nothing. This is the best Godzilla movie ever. (laughs) The other ones. uh, Hold on, hold on. You got to love the grammar of this review. The Other Ones was a MST3K movie. They are bad, but this one, I love it. Now, I heard people say animals would not, also cannot duck. They are absolutely wrong. Animals can duck. If you see a missile or a bullet heading your way, would not duck? Yes, you would. I do not know about some people, but I would. <laughs> oh my God. And that's our show. If you liked it, please subscribe. If you loved it, please share it with all your friends. And whether you liked it or loved it, we'd appreciate it if you gave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can to help others find us. Also, be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Links to both of those are in the show notes. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for another episode of Millennial Rewind. <laughs>